Clock on in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Report. Tyler Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us today. Coming up on today's show, going to be joined by Clint Bowen, former KU coach and now the head man at Lawrence High. We're going to get his insights on recruiting, how to do it, how to get your name out there to colleges. He'll tell you all about it, plus the evolution of football. Also, why he's at Lawrence High. We'll get the explanation on that and more. Plus, we'll look back on his time at KU, including that great Orange Bowl team and more when uh, Clint joins us. And he'll also tell us about some of his favorite players he's coached over the years that went on to the National Football League. Great chat with Clint Bone coming up in just a bit. Plus, we'll let you hear from Coach Bo. Brian O'Connor is going to stop by for Coach Bo's football fix. And we'll have our top four story of the week as well. Loaded show. Thanks for making us a part of your day. Thomas Bridges joins me right now. TB, how we doing? Oh, you know, Jones just uh, trucking along. Started 75 hard this week, so no liquor for me today on today's show. Uh, and not until May, so you won't hear, you know, having a good time, Tom, in a while. We'll still have a good time, but I won't be having the better time. Uh, for for some time, so uh, you haven't heard seventy five hard. Look it up. I uh, still got seventy two more days to go. So, but so far so good. Seventy two days to go, and you're just now starting this adventure. You're gonna be like working out twice a day and going crazy. Um, I do down a water a day. Man, that's some high quality H two O right there. I mean, I the, the first day I was like, there's no way people do this. Uh, which which is funny. I, I will say I, I felt a lot better. Usually I wake up, I felt like I've been chronically dehydrated for the past five years. If you're going to drink that um, much water, don't drink tap water or Dasani. Right now, I'm getting it straight from the filter, baby. That's, okay. um, that's the only – if I'm drinking that much, uh, it's the only way I roll. Right. That's good. I'm glad to hear that. Um, I got vaccinated today. I got my first dose of the uh, Pfizer vaccine. And so that puts me at 90% covered from the virus. And I'll get my second dose in about three weeks. And that'll put me at 95%. So Tom, I went now, here we are. It's been a year. It was a year ago this month that everything shut down and I never got COVID. And now I've gotten the vaccine I did all the stuff you were supposed to do. I social distanced and wore a mask and did all those things. I'm not trying to claim victory of some sorts, but I, I do feel like, wow, we've hit an inroad of some sorts. Like, oh my gosh, I, I finally got it. Uh, I got the vaccine before getting the virus. I, I feel accomplished of some sorts. Right. I'm trying to get the vaccine as well because I have not had COVID. Either I have had COVID and didn't know about it, Um Maybe I was asymptomatic or just haven't had it. So I'm trying to follow suit. Uh, actually, a lot of people, Jones, that I know got vaccinated today. Um, so good on you for that. Yeah, I mean, I saw it all over Instagram. I was like, golly, where can a brother get a vaccine? I'm like, damn. I'm like, as much as I run and gun, I'm like, I would I would go tonight uh, and go get it if I, if I could get it. But, um, yeah, it's... That, are you feeling any different way? Some people say the second one puts them in bed all day. Um, I'm not feeling any different. Now, I've just had the one, but right. I feel fine. And you had to wait like 15 minutes before you could leave the facility. 
after getting it, they, they poked it in me and I didn't even feel anything. I'm like, Oh, you, you already got me. Uh, I felt like I was still waiting for it. So no, I uh, got that taken care of and certainly encourage folks get your vaccine when you can. And the thing I was thinking about Tom, when it came to this vaccine was I didn't want to jump anybody in line. Um, you know, I want to make sure that, you know, elderly folks and, and those that are, you know, in need of this, you know, frontline workers and such got the, the vaccine first. But then once I was working with a uh, shout out to Indian Health Services, once they said, hey, we're offering it to any Native American that's 16 or over. I'm like, all right, if the kids are getting it now, then I'm OK. I'll go ahead and get the vaccine. And I'm glad I did. That's uh, I, I don't feel any moral wrongdoing on my part uh, of the timing of this. I know there's still some people waiting, but in in my range, in my demographic, it was at that point. I'm like, all right, let's go ahead and knock this out. Yeah, I don't blame you. I mean, like I said, I, I mean, you, if you get it, it's you get it. You just got to, I mean, I wouldn't feel any more wrongdoing. Um, especially the people who have a chance to get it and don't. I'm like, all right, well, sorry about you. Um, I have no problem there. I'm trying to get it ASAP so I can get it done and over with and be good to go for the summer. Right. Well, and I wonder now too, you know, we're looking at, I think that we're going to see with the progress that's going on with this vaccine. And, and I talk about this thing every dadgum day on, on local news live. Um, the progress that we're making with this vaccine, Tom, I think we're going to see full stadiums again come fall. Alabama already announced they're planning on it. We saw Texas move, you know, remove their mask mandate and such, and things are headed in this direction. I think, Tom, when it comes to this vaccine, as far as you know, bringing this all back to this show and the sports world and such, I think it's going to be required for a lot of sporting events or just events in general to have the vaccine that that is going to be something that's expected of you. And that if you want to go see your favorite team play or something like that, or maybe your job, in my case, I could see um, some of these, you know, events and stuff saying, Hey, we're not giving you a credential unless you got the vaccine and they're well within the rights of doing that. I think this is going to become like a societal standard of some sorts like, hey, you want to go here? Show me your vaccine records. Let's see if you're covered. Right. No, and that's uh, rightfully so. I mean, just trying to protect everybody and, uh, you know, not you know, not put others at risk where it doesn't need to happen. So, um, I, you know, some people are like, this is a free country, da, 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 da. And I'm like, yo, we just got pretty much shit on for a year. So, just get the vaccine. People say it's, oh, you were getting implants by the government. No, no, we're not. Um, the government you, can already track you on your phone. They don't need a, a, a vaccine to do it. Right, exactly. It's silly. Um, so I'll be getting it just as soon as possible. They're pretty much releasing the Johnson & Johnson one. to Maybe it's already out, but they've pretty much given it the go-ahead. Uh, and I've heard that's a solid one. So if it takes some time before I can get it, I'll probably go for that one. Did you have a choice uh, between uh, Pfizer and Moderna? I did. And I went with Pfizer because it had a higher efficiency rate between the they two. Also, Pfizer also makes Viagra, don't they? They do. And, uh, <laughs> I, you know, I, I've been a little excited today. 
<laughs> I'm guessing Mark Martin got the Pfizer vaccine as well. Oh, he had to have, right? He was he was the one giving it. I mean, he fits the age demo, and he was their spokesman for years. I mean, you want to talk about athlete endorsements? Was there a better partnership than than Mark Martin and Viagra? A better match out there? No, I mean, he looks like he could have been on the commercial. And he looked a lot older than he actually was. He looked like he was 60 when he was 45. I'm like, well, that's perfect for that brand then. That's fine. Right. Right. Exactly. He was. That's funny. When I told you my dad has a cardboard cutout of Mark Martin in the Pfizer car. <laughs> Does he? I forgot yeah, about this. Yeah, it's in the garage. Next time you come down, I'll have to show you. Right. I need to take like a picture with this thing. You should, yeah. It's, it's sitting in the garage. It's funny. Your dad's got. I can't believe you. I can't believe you didn't see stuff. it last time. He's got oh, some yeah, old, yeah. Like some some old Dale Junior Budweiser stuff too. Oh yeah, he's got a bunch of the old throwback stuff. <laughs> some of that stuff, man. Like uh, it's it's too good to not uh, get rid of. Uh, yeah, they couldn't get away with it nowadays. Right. The other day, Tom and. Uh, <laughs> You know, in, in this business, we get to this point where we don't care about autographs. You know, I, I'd rather just get a picture with somebody if it's to that point or something like that. Um, Tyler Reddick, who's been on this show and who I've interviewed, you know, several times for radio and such. Uh, you know, he's second-year NASCAR driver. Uh, I, I went to this Daytona 500 watch party a couple weeks ago, Tom, and uh, my parting gift for showing up – I really got a kick out of this, especially considering he's, he's my age or younger than me, something like that. Uh, somebody gave me a signed Tyler Reddick hero card. I'm like, okay, that's funny, since I know him too. <laughs> right. Did you? Yeah, that is pretty funny. Did you keep it? I did. <laughs> that's great. Now I'm trying to figure out what to do with the thing. But it was too good of a story not to uh, let it, to let that just go away. But anyways, Todd, we got plenty to discuss on uh, today's show and where we want to start is the NCAA tournament is fastly approaching. We're, are, we're, we're about a week and a half away from selection Sunday. And um, I, I feel like that a few weeks ago, Tom, we were having this discussion about the NCAA tournament. Would you take Baylor and Gonzaga or the field? And we, we were pretty confident in saying that we would take Baylor and Gonzaga over the field. And then Michigan came out of nowhere and was just rolling teams and looking like, okay, Juan Howard, his second year as head coach of Michigan, the, the former NBA great. All right. He's got something figured out. And then they laid an egg last night against Illinois, losing to Brad Underwood without their best player, Io, by 20 points. And I'm like, all right, well, how good's really Michigan then? And Baylor, of course, um, you know, gets by Iowa State fairly, but I didn't hold that against them because it was their first game back. And then against KU, and we'll get to Kansas in just a bit, but Kansas, they, they look rough, and KU gets the best of them. But then they turn around and beat West Virginia in overtime. I'm like, all right, well, now I'm a little confused of Baylor. And, you know, Gonzaga is still rolling people and winning games of sorts. But as we enter the tournament, we, we got some clarification that 
there can be replacement teams that if somebody by Tuesday of the you know, tournament that says they can't play because of COVID, they can be replaced. Somebody can jump in and take their spot. And so, you know, that's cool. That's great to see that we got some flexibility, this thing of some sorts. Um, I thought things were stabilizing that we were starting to figure this out, but now it's like, all right, we're back to ground zero again. Um, Gonzaga's great, I think, but who have they played this year? Um, and, and you know what? I, I'm. It, it's like going into a conversation with an open mind. Now what I've seen within the last week or so, Tom, I'm saying to myself, all right, you know what? I don't know what's going to happen. I don't – my preconceived notions, all right, maybe they were wrong. Maybe I need to put those aside for a bit, who I thought was good and it wasn't good. And that's okay. Now we go into this tournament that we've waited two years for an NCAA tournament to happen – and I'm like, all right, I don't know what's going to happen, and that's okay. <laughs> all right. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be it's going to be a good one. And, and you know, this year's I feel like it's even going to be better just because last year we obviously didn't get one. So I'm so stoked to fill out an NCAA bracket this year. And you might have to wait till Wednesday if a team drops out or something. To actually right. Um, but yeah, it's just weird that we're at that point, but Baylor, let's start with the bears. Baylor wins the big 12 last night, uh, with a win over West Virginia on the road in overtime, 94 to 89 heck of a basketball game, uh, between these two teams. Jared Butler goes off for 25 Mitchell went off for 20 Matthew Meyer had 18. Um, Baylor was great and they win the big 12 for the first time ever. First time they've ever won the Big 12 Conference in uh, school history. And to get that done, move ahead to 20-1. and one. And now Baylor finishes out. They'll, uh, they'll play Oklahoma State coming up tomorrow at 6 o'clock. Uh, that, that's a home game. That'll be a tough test. And then they get Texas Tech on Sunday at 3 o'clock before the Big 12 tournament begins. And all signs point to that everybody is going to play in the Big 12 tournament, that everyone is going to show up to Kansas City next week for this thing to get going. Um, even you know, KU has made public they're going. I believe almost everybody has. So um, for the league, it's, it's looking good that they're going to get that revenue that they desired. They needed everybody to be there. So uh, in Baylor's case, yes, you like the road win against West Virginia. You stumbled a little bit against Iowa State. You, you hit a wall of sorts against Kansas, but now you got you know three games under your belt since COVID came back. Since you came back from COVID, you've taken your lumps. Um, now it's really put up or shut up time for Baylor. Um, this team, we know they got talent. We know they got a great head coach in Scott Drew, and we've seen them play really good all year long. But I think Tom. Usually I don't read into who wins conference tournaments and who doesn't. Um, we've seen before that you haven't had to win your conference tournament to be the NCAA tur tournament champion. But um, before I fill out that bracket, just a few weeks ago, I would have put Baylor in the Final Four without even thinking twice. I need to see Baylor play really good these next two weeks. Not even necessarily have to win the Big 12 tournament. But win seven of these games the next few weeks, and then I'll be back on Baylor. I'm not completely back on the bandwagon yet. I still need to see a little bit more, but I'm not far off at this point on Baylor. 
Yeah, I mean, they have to obviously have a tough showing. I mean, the next two games are, are pretty good tests for them, and then obviously the tournament. But um, be interesting to see how they do, how they fare against OSU and then against Tech. And, you know, there for a while it seemed like they were unstoppable. But, I mean, West Virginia gave them a hell of a run. And, you know, they kind of showed that, yeah, they you know, they pulled it out, but they're not unbeatable by any means. Right. That's a great way of putting it. Uh, they're not unbeatable. This team uh, can be beaten uh, based on what we've seen these last few games. And nonetheless, it was a great win against West Virginia. Uh, the Big 12 tournament title, Big 12 regular season title, huge for this Baylor team. Um, and an 11-1 conference record. Uh, that game against Oklahoma State is going to be telling. And, and that's what I want to go to next is Oklahoma State. If you want to talk about somebody that was a, a team of the week or something like that in all college basketball – of sorts, uh, you know, from Monday to Monday. Oh my gosh, these pokes! I tell you what, man. Uh, putting a little John Gruden on there. I tell you what, man. Right. Um, Oklahoma State was phenomenal last week. Um, beat Texas Tech on Big Monday and a good win at home. And uh, then you know they play Oklahoma in Norman, go to overtime. Kate Cunningham just goes off. Has a 40-burger. One of the best college performances I've seen ever. 40 points, 11 rebounds. I mean, it was just out of this world good, Kate Cunningham was. And, and, you know, Oklahoma looked like the better team in this game. But Oklahoma State had a far better player on Saturday. Um, I mean, it, it was just unreal what this guy did. And then you turn around on Monday, and you're probably thinking, all right, Oklahoma was close, went to overtime. Uh, I say you were probably thinking Vegas had Oklahoma favored for the second game. They said, all right, Oklahoma State got close one the first time. Oklahoma should get the first one. Not so fast. Cade Cunningham was slowed down a little bit too. Uh, you know, Cade goes from 40 one night to 15 the other. But what he did so well, and, and this is what amazes me about a 19-year-old, and I get excited. Tom, you can probably tell I'm excited just talking about this guy. Um, the thing that amazed me about Kate Cunningham in that second game is that he realized he was having a bit of an off-night shooting, right? And he still found a way to be involved, to facilitate, to have his presence known and have an impact on the game. At the very least, OU had to be on him all game and watch out for him because they knew he was a threat the entire game to break out, and he still made plays. Um, look, Oklahoma State's got an elite head coach in Mike Boynton, and he outcoached Lon Kruger back-to-back games. He's got the best player in the country in Cade Cunningham. This team's learning to play together. Cade's making his teammates better. I heard some comparisons the last couple of days between Cade Cunningham and Trey Young. The difference between the two is Cade made his teammates better. Trey Young was a bum. Trey didn't care about his teammates. He, he was very selfish and and uh, you know very careless. And you know his eyes were on the NBA, not on the prize, the NCAA tournament. Cade Cunningham's got his eyes on the prize. He knows what's ahead of the NCAA tournament and, and trying to win this whole thing. Um, we were saying last week, Tom, that Oklahoma State shouldn't really care about seeding. 
I think other teams should care about Oklahoma State seeding right now. Um, we've seen them. I think Lenardi had them projected as high as a four. Compared to last week, there was a, as low as an eight. Um, watch out. This Oklahoma State team, all of a sudden, we're talking about could make a deep run in this thing. No one wants to face Kate Cunningham and the Cowboys right now. No, I don't think they do either. And unless you have a big man, then you might have a – you know, you you feel a little bit better about that. But even still, I mean, if Cade Cunningham can just put that up, uh, the 40-burger up again, I mean, that's tough to do. But, uh, I mean, I'd take Cade to be able to, you know, to be the one that would do it. But, I mean, yeah, like how can you not – be afraid a little bit of this team. I mean, for whatever reason, uh, I don't think they'll do it. But if they go in to Waco tomorrow and beat Baylor, then I think they would be deserving uh, of a four seed for sure. Right. You get two Big 12 tournament wins, and you're there as a four seed. And that would be the highest ranking for OSU in huh, huh. Long, right? Oh, I don't know. How long has that been? Oh, five, oh, four. Well, and then think about this too, Tom. You know, we, we've said it's been documented on this show about the tournament process for OSU that even if the NCAA came down with a punishment next week, that they could, you know, take that punishment next year, they could move it a year and such. But Mike Boynton lost some guys this offseason. When the initial punishment came down, two players said, we're out of here. We're not taking a postseason ban. And so as good of a player Kate Cunningham's been and the job that he's done and as phenomenal he's been, Mike Boynton – now, Scott Drew is going to be coach of the year in the Big 12 – but if there were an honorable mention or even consideration for a co-coach of the year or something like that, I mean, there's got to be a way to recognize the job Mike Boynton's done to get to this team to this point. Yeah, I mean, he's he's. They, I saw an article. Um, I'm trying to think by maybe by pistols firing that it was so crazy that how good of a job Mike Boynton's done in like his last five games in the last uh, you know three seasons. Uh, he's like nine and six overall in his last five of the previously last three seasons. So, I mean, if my God, if he can go and somehow um, pull off this Baylor win, I had to, like I said, I would put money on OSU to do it. Um, if it was in Gallagher-Iba, maybe the magic continues, but, uh, I mean, they're going to have their hands full tomorrow night. Um, I'll definitely be, have, have an eye on that game, but uh, I think – I think the, uh, you know, the Pickham committee will have an eye on that game as well. Oh, yeah. No question. And the I think what you're referring to is Mike Boynton, he, uh, of any Big 12 coach the last three years, when it's come to the last two weeks of the regular season, the two best coaches, best records of coaches in the Big 12 are Bill Self and Mike Boynton. Pretty good company to be a part of. That you can see the process of Mike Boynton's teams getting better as the season goes along and that progress being made. Um, it's just phenomenal. 
uh, Mike Boyden is uh, is doing something special uh, there in Stillwater amid all these circumstances. And, and here's one thing I would add to Tom um, that I don't think gets talked about enough. You know, we, we look at these coaching jobs. Who put the best coaching job together? Getting the most out of their players or took a team that wasn't there and turned it into something. In, in, in college sports, one half of coaching is recruiting. And in all of that, you have to give Mike Boynton credit to get a player of Cade Cunningham's caliber to Oklahoma State. That's part of it, too. That needs to be recognized in itself um, is, uh, is the fact that, you know, Kate Cunningham, a guy that could have gone to the G League and made, you know, six figures there or gone to a blue blood program, the fact that he brought him into Stillwater, an Oklahoma State program that was down, not the program that it, you know, wants to be, and – got him to stay throughout this process of, you know, being investigated and getting the punishment and all that, that deserves to be recognized and attention it deserves for not only the coaching job for this team getting better throughout the year, but just for getting Cade there and getting this roster together, Mike deserves some credit for. Yeah. I mean, think of if these allegations had been laid down and those, you know, players wouldn't have left where this team would be sitting at even, and maybe it's not too far off from what they're doing now because it looks like Boyden gets his players to play, uh, you know, for him. Not, maybe not as good as like a Bill Snyder, not just yet. But uh, he's very, I'd say, very charismatic in, in getting these players to play for him and and to buy in. He's I don't know what he's got going in. I don't know what they're drinking in Stillwater. But, uh, I mean, everyone's drinking Mike Boyden's Kool-Aid. And it's, it's very, as a fan, it's uh, – I'm in on it too. Right. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, now, the way this league's looking, Tom, um, I would say that between the tournament caliber teams, the seven teams, it is very clear, I think, right now, which teams are headed in the right direction and which teams are on the downward spiral. Right. Kansas is playing a lot better. I think so. I mean, it's. Six out of their last seven, Oklahoma State's on fire. Question marks on Baylor, but they may have had their worst behind them, potentially. Um, Texas isn't anything. Texas Tech doesn't have the offense. West Virginia's got some flaws. Uh, Oklahoma's been exposed the last couple games. Um, These Big 12 standings, you know, are going to shape out to be – whatever they are, you know, with, with West Virginia, maybe sitting at three or whatever it may be, or, um, but I think if you're putting money, if I can buy chips on anybody in the tournament, you know, obviously you still take Baylor, but then Kansas and Oklahoma state, and and I'll get KU in just a second, but that's who I'm putting my chips towards. If we're going for something here, if we have to put, you know, if we're playing roulette, one of Tom's favorite games, if we're playing roulette, and if you put these Big 12 teams on the board, and I got to put my chips down, I'm putting my chips on Baylor, OSU, and KU as far as my best chances to uh, to, to get the, the number to hit. 
Right, yeah, I, I would be right there with you. And, you know, I was key on OU a, a few weeks ago when we talked about who do you think can make the deepest run. Well, I mean, at this point, obviously it's Baylor, but at the same time you look at it and say, hey, who's hot? Uh, I mean, when we talk about this, this happens in the NFL playoffs. This happens towards the end of the college. I mean, it happens in every sport. You get hot at the right time, you're sitting pretty. I mean – so for these teams, it's it, it matters if you get hot towards the end. You don't want to be down and out, you know, towards the end. You might have had a great regular season and everything's fine and dandy, but, you know, when the end comes, you want to be playing your sharpest ball. Right. Yeah. Now, let me get to KU. And <laughs> oh, man. Uh, hell of a win on Saturday against Baylor. Oh, my gosh. Um, I, I watched that game and – Tom, I don't know how much you saw that KU Baylor game on Saturday, but I was sitting there the entire time like, all right, okay, they're playing great. They're playing great. This is going well. When's this going to end? When's Baylor going to get on that run? When's that going to happen? When is this KU team going to crash and burn? They blew a 17-point lead against Texas. They're not going to hold on to this thing, right? And, and Tom knows this, too, from being around me a long time. I'm not – an optimist. I'm always a realist. Maybe I'm even too hard on my teams um, in actuality. Um, but I'm watching this game and thinking, eh, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And then what do you know? They held on and they pulled it off. 71 58 win over Baylor. And they outscored Baylor 38 to 28 in the second half. And, you know, T, he got 18. Mitchell got 13. But KU found something with McCormick down low 20 points three rebounds one assist this KU team they get McCormick involved it's it's a whole different story um you know that's the key to their success is getting their big man David McCormick feeding the, the big man uh Shaq I know he got clowned by Kansas Park on inside the NBA the, uh, the other night but Shaq would be the first to tell you you gotta feed the big man down low and uh you gotta run through the big man and if KU can do that effectively this team can be something special. Um, you know, Marcus Garrett did a really good job of uh, slowing down Jared Butler. They, they held him to five points in that game. Um, the defense for Kansas has really come along within the last few weeks. You know, KU had the best defense in the country last year. And Bill Self said it was one of, if not the best defensive teams he's ever coached. And this year, at the beginning of the season, it was really clear this team was really lacking when it came to defense, that they had a long ways to go. But they certainly were capable of getting there. Now we're seeing the fruits of their labor pay off. Those lumps they took defensively at the beginning of the season, this team is coming, has come a long way. Now, here's what I wonder. Um, this is where I get hesitant on this, Tom is that here you have a Kansas team that is playing good on a roll, six out of seven, right? Nice win against Baylor. They beat Oklahoma State in that stretch, beat Texas Tech. And then three of those wins are against, you know, teams that were below 500 in K-State and Iowa State. It is what it is. You play your schedule. That's what we say, right? Um, there's part of me that still – and maybe it's because I've seen about every game of this Kansas team that still – when I look ahead to March, I'm like, oh, man, I like what I've seen, but I just don't know what team is ultimately going to show up for that first weekend. If you get 
is this good Kansas team that we've seen in the last, you know, six out of seven games? And I like what I've seen. And if you made me bet on teams of the Big 12, I'd like this KU team more than others. But I'm still hesitant in the sense of I have seen this team and their flaws before. You know, it's it's real clear. It doesn't take a lot to scout this Kansas team. All you got to do is is uh, contain David McCormick. If McCormick goes off, Kansas wins. If he has a bad night, Kansas loses. It's not that hard to figure out. You don't have to be a basketball expert to know that. That's where the hesitation is for me, Tom. I like what I've seen from KU. And they could potentially, on this bad year that we've talked about all year long, still find a way to be a three seed. But I'm still somewhat uh, nervous. I got my fingers crossed of some sorts here. Right. And, you know, obviously it's not been a typical KU year. So you, I would say you'd be justified in, you know, having your concerns. Uh, I mean, every, you have every right to do so because it's been an odd, an odd year. For KU, but you know they, you know we talked all, or at least I did, talked all that trash on them. And said, hey, this is the KU team that we know, and yada yada yada. But they're getting hot at the right time, Jones. They're figuring it out. Um, and if any team that is going to figure it out with a coach like Bill Self, you got to be mindful of if you're the opposition. Right. Well, and. and- with KU, we've seen, you know, from, from when I covered this team for, you know, five, six years, whatever it was, there was always some turning point in the season where you said, all right, this is when they got it on. You know, I mean, whether it was when the Big 12 SEC challenge hit or maybe it was a road win against West Virginia and or something like that where you said, all right, this is the moment. What I look for next out of this Kansas team you just beat the number two team in the country. KU, Tom, pulled off the most impressive win of anybody in college basketball this year. You beat the number two undefeated team in the country by double digits. No one in the country has had a more impressive win than that right there. You just pulled that off. Now what? Now what are you going to do with it? You're going to play UTEP tomorrow just so you don't get you know cold, so you don't have a complete – week off of sorts and then you go and go to the big 12 tournament from there and now it's it's like all right you got over one test now the real work begins essentially from here on out right in the big 12 tournaments in kansas city yes are they allowing fans or how many uh they're allowing uh about 20 percent capacity Okay, so the majority of those will probably be KU fans still. KU, uh, probably some and some uh, Iowa State fans, but you know Iowa State will, should be out by Wednesday night. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. You know what this Bill Self team does um, in the Big Twelve tournament. I think they could impress. Uh, you know, they already have Baylor's number, so if it does come down to you know to that again, who knows? But um, this isn't like other years for KU where we just said, hey, if you lose in the first round, that's not the worst thing in the world. We've said that multiple years in a row, uh, you know, as far as rest and stuff like that. But uh, I think for KU, you want to keep the streak, you know, keep it going, keep this momentum hot and right. just win as many as you can, if not win the whole damn thing. Oh, yeah. yeah. 
No question. No question about it. Um, it's, a, it's a great point. And, you know, look at these others. Uh, we mentioned Baylor, KU, and Oklahoma State uh, are the three you're putting your chips on. But West Virginia, Texas, Oklahoma, and Texas Tech. Um, the one to me, Tom, that's you, – you talk about falling the last few days – you know, Texas, we knew with as long as Shaka Smart's there, that team's going to have problems. Even with the talent that's there, Shaka's just not a great head coach. Texas Tech, you know, didn't have the talent level of some of these top teams. West Virginia wasn't going to be the same team, um, you know, after uh, they lost, uh, you know, uh, their, their big fella uh, after he uh, transferred to uh, Kentucky. Um, but – in, in the case of Oklahoma, this was a team that was as high as seven in the nation just a, a week ago and had, you know, beat KU, Texas, uh, Alabama. Um, they had all the wins. And then you lose three straight, the awful K-State. You lose back-to-back to Oklahoma State like this. Um Oklahoma is a very talented team, but and I like Lon Kruger. Lon's been on this show before. You know, he's a great guy. He's one of the kindest human beings I've ever met. And so this is not personal, but it, it sounds weird to say this, Tom, but you look at this stretch for OU, the thing that's been holding them back is actually Lon Kruger. Lon Kruger's been out coached three straight games. We don't say that very often. No, you don't. It's kind of strange because he's been pretty consistent um, so far in his coaching career. So it's weird to say. I mean, you know, maybe he's going through a tough stretch. It does happen. Uh, but I can tell you it's the wrong time for it to start happening. Right. I mean, like I'm watching the game Saturday, and I'm sure you were too, Tom, that Oklahoma State game. Dickie V's doing the game, sounding as obnoxious as ever. And, uh, you know, all these games that Dickie V's doing nowadays are these basically infomercials pretty much for his books. And I'm like, just make it stop. Right. And Dickie V, he, he's talking about, you know, you know, what, what is, why don't we talk about Lon Kruger being an elite coach? You know, he should be a first belt Hall of Famer, baby. Um, you know, like Lon Kruger is just so great and all this. I'm like, yeah, I like Lon too, but let's, Let's see you get by K State and Oklahoma State first. Before we let's let's we'll have those Hall of Fame conversations one day about Lon Kruger. But right now, the as weird as it is, uh, you you may say Lon Kruger's a Hall of Fame coach, but right now he's a liability for this Oklahoma basketball team. Right? Yeah, and and you know I didn't actually get to watch the live broadcast of the game. I was actually at the new OSU baseball stadium, but they had it on the screen, on the big screen, playing it for everybody before the game. So that was kind of cool. Um, and everyone, you know, was cheering on OSU and uh, who was Larry Reese was giving updates and everyone was having a good old time at the at the ball game. That sounds fun. <laughs> it was. It was, a, it was a blast. I, you know, I – had a few beers before I, you know, transitioned to my 75 hard. One last Stillwater outing until at least May. So, right. Um, nice stadium. Well, one of the hopefully we'll get to see this OSU baseball team in Omaha, but that's a talk for another day. But, um, 
Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm excited to watch OSU Baylor tomorrow night. Oh, yeah. um, I mean, these teams are all heating up. You can't say it enough. Anybody who says that the Big 12 is not the best basketball conference is full of shit. <laughs> right. Um, the, the Big 10, you know, it looks like that they could get 10 teams in the tournament. But then, uh, remind you, the Big 10's got 14 teams. It's not as impressive as it sounds. The Big 12's going to send seven teams to the tournament, Tom. And they're all going to be at least seven seeds or higher. And they're all ranked in the top 18 in the polls. That's unheard of. Seven teams in the top 18 in a 10-team league? How does that happen? Um, you know, we, we, we saw less non-conference games than ever before. And, and that's almost 40%. Right? Of those 18. I mean, that's incredible. Um. We'll wrap up on this before we uh, get to Clint Bowen. Um, you know, I actually, and it sounds weird to say because we love the dog on him, I actually applaud the pollsters for <laughs> giving credit to these teams that play these more of these conference games this year. We saw that, you know, a team like, case in point, KU, for example. Um, KU is 18-8, and eight, right? And their non-conference schedule was mightily reduced this year um, with COVID and just everything that went, right? Um, they still get all their conference games in, but they're not playing a whole lot of non-con games. It's part of the reason why they're going to play UTEP this week. But they're ranked 13th in the new poll that came out on Monday. And the, the polls recognize that, oh, yeah, you have eight losses because you played a majority of a conference schedule. You took your lumps in conference. You didn't – those weren't wins against lowly non-con teams that you got out of the way in the season. No, you were taking those lumps. You're finding yourself in conference play. I applaud the pollsters for not worrying about what Ken Palm has to say or what these analytic nerds said – and just looked at, okay, this is where they're at right now. And, you know, this is the value of how good this league really is and that they didn't just have these cheap non-conference wins of sorts. The pollsters uh, are actually watching the games. Isn't that crazy? What a concept. Well, it seems like the first time in a long time. But, yeah, I mean, you got to give it to them. Usually they're horrible. This year it's, like, been given a gift. Right. Right, right. Baylor loses to KU and they drop one spot to three. I like that. That will work. <laughs> oh, uh, speaking of Baylor, uh, Tom, Clint Bowen, our next guest. Do you know what the name of his son is? Oh, I hope it's Baylor and not Waco. It's Baylor. Yes. The former KU coach himself and the father of Baylor Bowen will join us on the other side. Coming up later on, Coach Bowe's going to stop by for Coach Bowe's football fix. Plus, we'll have our Tom Fullery story of the week as well. All that and more coming up next. Stay with us on the Jones Report. <laughs> Joining us now, the Jones Report this week is former KU coach now taking his talents over to Lawrence High School to man up the chesty lines. It is Clint Bowen who joins us on the show this week. Coach Bowen, appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us, and and uh, welcome back to Lawrence. Uh, I know you got to be excited to get back to town. 
It is, it's, you know, exciting for the whole family. Um, you know, it was uh, a situation that kind of came up in a hurry and discussed it and, um, you know, opportunity to move back to Lawrence, which is obviously our hometowns and, and be a part of my, uh, my alma mater there at Lawrence High School. Uh, seemed like a great opportunity to, to try and do something different in life. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And uh, coming to Lawrence, come to Lawrence High, you, you spent so many years at whether it was KU or, you know, playing at Lawrence High back in the day. How many years is this going to put you out of, of just time spent in Lawrence now? Oh boy. Um, well, I'm getting old, so I'm, I'm 48. So the only, really I've only been gone maybe about five years. So I guess I've technically been in Lawrence probably, uh, 43 years now, but yeah, you take from my high school days, uh, um, you know, that graduated in 90 and then, you know, KU up until 94 and then all the time coaching there. So no, I haven't spent a whole lot of time out of Lawrence, Kansas. That's for sure. That's great. Uh, Lawrence got through and through, uh, Clint Bowen, uh, is in a, a homecoming, uh, coming to coming back uh, to head up this program here. We know that, you know, Lawrence is such a, a basketball driven town. What do you do community wise to get, I know you, you saw in North Texas, how people treat football in, in that state and such. How do you get people to buy into uh, a, a high school program to get excited about high school football in Lawrence like that? Well, you know, the, the, the tradition of Lawrence High is kind of funny. I was with, uh, with my dad, and, you know, he was featured in the 1960 Life magazine uh, when, you know, the Al Woolard was the head coach at Lawrence High, and they had the 60-game uh, winning streak or whatever it was, probably more than that. So Lawrence High traditionally, uh, um, you know, Lawrence and the high school level has, has been a uh, football football city, you know, that it's at, at the university level that it becomes basketball-oriented. So, you know, you go back to those days of playing games at Haskell Stadium at Lawrence High School, and, and uh, you know, I can remember that, that stadium being packed for our playoff games and people standing around the track. So it does, you know, the, the creation of a second high school obviously split that a little bit, but you know, uh, through, through the years, Lawrence High, the high school level, uh, Lawrence has been a football city. Yeah. And uh, now, you know, we, we've seen Lawrence High had a really good year last year. Haven't won a state title since the split. Uh, tell me about that uh, as far as uh, trying to get back to Lawrence to that, that, that crown they're still looking for. I imagine that would mean a lot to you if you guys can get there before Free State does, too. Right. You know, the, the, the thing I always love is I see kids all over everywhere you go and on their letter jackets, they have, you know, sub-state champions, district champions, all these different patches on their letter jackets. And so people understand at Lawrence High School, you only get to one, put one patch on your letter jacket and that's a state championship. So there aren't a whole bunch of patches. So the expectation in, in, at Lawrence High School is simple. You, you know, if, to be successful as a senior at Lawrence High School, you win a state championship. If you don't, you weren't successful. Um, and that's just the, the standard that, that is set there a long time ago is put into my head my entire life by my dad, who never, you know, he never did not win a state championship every year he was in high school. I won two out of three. You know, my brother won two out of three. Um, you know, the bottom line at Lawrence High School, there's one patch goes on your letter jacket, and that's a state championship. So uh, the, the goal is pretty clear. You know, now, now obviously on the way, we, we want to do it the right way. You know, we want to teach these kids, the, 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 you know, what, what's truly important in life and how to live their lives. But but at Lawrence High School, there's one standard, and that's a state championship. And, and you, you, you know, we have to get our program. And, and it's not a season, you know, and that's what I try and tell our kids. Uh, a Lawrence High football player is one of our, our core values, our legacy. At Lawrence High, you, you're really value, you know, your, your legacy is did you win your senior year? And did your, and what well, at the time was your sophomore class? Did the kids behind you win? Because, you know, you, you owe it to the program to pay back and take care of the younger group behind you. So, 
you know, we're not going for a successful season. We're going for, uh, you know, 10 in a row. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. Uh, coach, I know that, you know, you have a, a great – you had a great run as a college coach, uh, you know, a lot of time spent at KU, most recently in North Texas. I'm sure you, you still had plenty of college opportunities you could take. Um, you know, a, a lot of people are curious, why, why Lawrence High? Why the high school level when I'm sure you could be coaching college ball in, in some way, shape, or form right now? Yeah, we, we did. It, it's an interesting time, you know, and it has to do with my kids probably as much as anything. You know, I have a, a son that's going to be a senior in high school, and I have another son that's going to be a freshman in high school. And, you know, I just moved him here from Lawrence to Texas, and so they spent one year here again. And and uh, I can remember sending him down. We had a, a, a certain job offer, um, a, a pretty good one. I sent my wife and my oldest son down. I asked him about moving to this location. And you would have thought that, uh, yeah, that, that the world had ended all in one comment right there. So it was pretty clear that, you know, for this go around, it was either stay right here and let them finish school where they're at or go back to the one place that they've always felt comfortable, which is Lawrence, Kansas. So in a lot of ways, you know, it was this, you know, it was time. I've made a lot of, I guess, in, in the college football world, you make a lot of decisions based on your profession and, and you, you ignore your family, you ignore your kids. Unfortunately, that's kind of the nature of the beast. And. And so this one here, you know, looking at my at my kids and their situation, it, it was time to, um, you know, make a decision that's, that that was truly best for, for what my family, you know, for my family. And that, that you know, and moving to another part of the nation by the look on my son's face was clearly not going to be an option. That's awesome. That's uh, great uh, to have this homecoming. And I'm sure your kids are very thrilled uh, that this is the case. So you spent so many years recruiting guys and reaching out to high schools. Now you're on the other end of things as the coach trying to reach out to schools to look at your players and such. Tell me about this roles reversed and, and, and trying to get your own kids now to get up to the, the next level. Yeah, that, that, that has been funny. You know, one of the, the, a couple of my favorite phone calls so far, one was on Colin Klein over at K-State. He hit me up right away. And uh, he was joking, you know, we were joking around. He goes, does this mean we're friends now? He's like, I mean, I, I can come in and, uh, and talk to you and we can hang out and you, you can help us out. And then, you know, uh, Taylor Bratt over there who runs their uh, recruiting, you know, his dad was a coach of mine a long time back in 91. So both, both the K-State guys reached out to me right away. And, uh, you know, that, that was kind of a fun story. But, no, it, you know, I'm, I'm excited about that because that, that's one thing that I truly believe and uh, is – helping these kids get to college. And I think I have the experience, like I, I watch kids right now, the ways they go about getting recruited and how many mistakes they made. Um, you know, I've put together a plan on how we're going to get our guys recruited. And, 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 you know, I think the first obstacle is getting them over that it's division one or nothing. You know, I mean, right. there's a lot of great, great opportunities out there for kids to get a college degree using football as their, their tool and their avenue. And, and, um, I'm really excited about helping our, our kids at Lawrence High. One, get over that culture that if you don't go Division One, you're a failure. That that you know that we're going to work it and get them to Emporia State, Pitt State, to Baker, to wherever we can play football to get a kid to continue his education and use football to, to get him there if that's what it takes. Um, get on that side; it's kind of kind of going to be exciting. Well, and then on top of that, too, I mean, take a guy that you coach like Keith Loniker, uh goes to Baker. That doesn't necessarily mean that. The chances of playing D one are over necessarily. I mean, we we've seen Butler Community College produce a lot of D one talent over the years too. I mean, uh, is that a message you try to get out there too? That you know, hey, if you go somewhere smaller, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to even be there the whole time. That you still have another chance to move up. 
Well, with this transfer portal, that's that's becoming the reality. Um, you know, you take teams like down here. I saw Texas State didn't sign one high school player. They're taking all all twenty two or twenty four kids are going to be transfer portal kids, and, it, and it's not it's, it's a philosophy that's going to carry over a little bit more than I think people think. So, um, you know, and unfortunately, I mean, there's some good things about the transfer portal, but it's going to create a little bit of a big fish eat little fish world in the college uh, football. You know, I mean, there's going to be a lot of one double A kids and Division two. I mean, you go to you go to a one double A school now and have a great freshman year. You're, you're gonna you're gonna be a highly talented recruit again. So, um, I don't I don't agree with it, but it's it's the world that we're gonna live in. So you're right. Um, you know, uh, players are gonna have the opportunity with that one time transfer rule to 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 go and 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 whereas it used to be you know junior college was gonna be the only place to get recruited out of. Now it's gonna be any uh any school in America can be your your launching pad. So yeah. it. it, it it's a nightmare for college coaches. Um, what a great time to get out of that 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 racket because how they're going to juggle this transfer portal. What a nightmare! Oh yeah, and then the the pandemic obviously has you know, put some dampers on recruiting and made uh, some changes. Tell me, how, how did that affect you at, at North Texas and now working with these kids too? So much is dependent on these huddle tapes, and you can't even have visits. I mean, this is. We've never seen this before in, in uh, recruiting uh, the, the way that it is right now under these circumstances. No, it, it's weird. You know, you go out on spring ball and there's some very specific things that you're hunting as a college recruiter. You know, one, you want to eyeball a kid because, it, it, as you know, every every uh, coach and kid lies about their true height and weight. <laughs> and then even with that, you know, one kid six foot three, 230 pounds looks a lot different than another kid six foot three, 230 pounds. So the eyeball test is critical. And then a lot of times in person, you get to see them do something, whether it's in a weight class, an activities class, or some places that have spring football, you get to see them in person perform the movement skills that you want and you get to walk around the school and ask everybody, you know, about their character. So there's specific things that get accomplished in spring recruiting that's been eliminated for two years in a row. And, and it's kind of funny. You said, I actually started a website. It's coachclintbowen.com. And um, I have a very uh, affordable package on there because it, it really is. I'm trying to help kids get through this because, you know, the kids have to understand they need to answer the questions that coaches aren't able to, to, to get answers to, you know I mean? Like, you need to prove on your video what your body looks like. You need to prove your movement skills, you know, because, you know, recruiting comes down to three things. Your on-field performance, which is your huddle tape, which all kids have, and, and that's ultimately going to be it. But the other parts about it are what your body look like and what your testing look like. And, and you got to answer all three of those questions for college coaches to recruit you. And that was extremely difficult. We signed an entire class at North Texas last year of kids I had never seen in person, never met in person. And, you know, I mean, think about your first impression on some people. You know right away, I'm not going to get along with this kid. And if, you know, as a coach, you're not going to get along with the kid, well, you better not recruit him because that's going to be five years you're going to be looking at him. And uh, so we signed a class. Of, you know, everyone in the nation signed classes of kids they maybe have never met in person, which is, you know, it, that's, a, that's a scary deal. Yeah, and, you know, for parents, too, uh, you know, obviously a big part of this as well. Um, I'm sure, you know, they're looking for answers for things that they can trust. What, what's your your message to, to parents going through this process? Not just the, the students and such, but the, the parents that are going through this are, are so important for how they they go about this the the right way. Uh, some of these parents just, just get too crazy about this recruiting stuff, it seems. 
Yeah, no, they are. That, but in, in reality, it is. You think about taking your most precious uh, thing in life, your children, and sending them away to a university where you maybe never met the coaches and the guys and the and the men that are going to be, uh, you know, with them, you know, day to day, every day, and 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 being a major influence in their life as a parent. That's a that's a scary deal. And and then not to really be able to travel and even go look at it. I mean, you're really you're sending your kid off to a a complete un, you know, not complete unknown, but I mean, you've seen it on a, a, a Zoom call like this. That's been your recruiting visit. So, um, you know, right now there's I don't see any answers for that on the on the parents end of things of of, of how they do it. But um, it's, it's been a tough situation. Obviously, I think this summer looks looks like maybe the NCAA around June is gonna gonna allow kids to go to camps again this year. So uh, I think I think we're getting through it. You know, yeah. here, here in my own home state of te- Texas, you know, COVID doesn't exist anymore. Like <laughs> yesterday, the governor. Uh, it's 100% open, no mask, no nothing. So it's a, it's a different ball game here in Texas. Oh yeah, yeah, no 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 question about it. And uh, for you, you're uh, you're putting on the uh, head coach headset for the uh, first time since 2014 when you were interim head coach at KU. I, I know it's at a smaller level and everything, but how excited are you just to just to be a head coach again? I am, you know. Um, the few guys told me a long time ago the best the uh, an only good job is the job that you uh, control the calendar right so I, I get to control the calendar again so if we want fridays off we got fridays off so that's always that's always a plus on being a head coach but no i'm excited I, you know it i said you know coach mason used to always say the the most important people in the program are the head coach and the qb and not that order um uh, so I'm, I'm at least second in command now um you know and in terms of uh of that but it is. I, I, you can have an impact on kids' lives. You can set up a culture and a program that, you know, from the way the assistant coaches, uh, you know, deal with the players, the way you deal with the players, and and you can create an environment that, that truly could be productive for a lot of kids. And that was something that was really important to me at the high school level was to to be able to go down and get my hands on some kids and, and know that you're going to have them. You know, I'm going to try and establish a, a program from seventh grade up. So, you know, I'm going to be able to get involved with kids from, you know, the time they're, you know, in the seventh grade until they graduate and, and have a bigger impact on lives, which, you know, the college game is getting harder to do that. You know, there, there's so much movement year after year. And if you want to make it, you have to move. So your relationship with your kids are really getting down to, you know, two and three years in college where, um, you know, it's just a little bit different. And so, sure. you know, the opportunity to be with a kid, you know, for that many years and, and have, have a positive impact on their lives. That was actually um, – something that was pretty important to me when I made this decision. Oh, yeah. That's great to see. And as you look back, we mentioned that this is your return to Lawrence. So many years at KU. Um, I do want to ask you about that. What do you look back on your time at KU? I know that you served under a, you know, a few different coaching staffs. What's some of the best memories that come to mind of your time there in Lawrence? You do, you know, you kind of break. I, I always break up my times in, in eras. You know, first off, as a player under Coach Mason, when we went to that '92 Aloha Bowl, I mean, for us as a players in that program, we had just won the Super Bowl. I mean, KU football, you know, we were so far down in the late '80s and, and early '90s, and and we that was my junior year. You know, you talk about a group of players who truly felt like we had we had conquered the world, going to a bowl game at Kansas, and and we beat BYU in that one. That was big. You know, and then, uh, you know, when Coach Mangino came in, you know, going from that first year, I think we won one to that 2000 season, 2007 season, we went 12 and one. 
and uh, the, the amount of work and how hard it was to, to pull that off. And, and uh, uh, I don't know that people ever really will appreciate the job that that, that was. I mean, it, the, um, Coach Mangino is the hardest working, most diligent, perseverant human being I've ever been around. And, and just the daily grind for seven years to put us in that spot um, w- was amazing. You know, that that turnaround was was really special. You know, and then, um, you know, working for Charlie Weiss, um, you know, Les Miles, David Beatty, you know, all, di- all different eras. And, but that, that season where I was the interim head coach, you know, that senior crew and, and being able to do that and, and actually working with Charlie Weiss. Um, you know, I know this time wasn't successful there, but, but um, that guy, when you talk about learning some football from another person and the stories he would tell from the Belichicks to the Parcells to all those years, I mean, the, 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 his, his football, being around him, and and we had always been coach Weiss and I would always about nine to 11 o'clock every night. We'd have our, our follow-up meetings to the day and, and um, spending time with him and hearing his stories and learning from him was, was something that in the coaching part of it was pretty special for me. Um, uh, Cause the guy had a wealth of knowledge about so many things, but that, that you know, head coach time when I was the interim head coach, that was a fun season. So there were a lot of real highlights there. And obviously just, you know, the, the people of Lawrence, Kansas and Kansas in general, and the university of Kansas have always, you know, always, um, taking such good care of me. You've coached so many great players of the years, guys that went on to the NFL. Who are some of your, your personal favorites that come to mind that, that you worked with uh, in your time, Clint? You know, the, God, that's a, that, that's such a bad question because sorry <laughs> that, that it, uh, you know, you always feel like you, you leave guys out, but sure. um, you know, I, there's, there's so many, you know, those kids that, that, I always kind of put the ones that, that made me a better coach that taught me something, you know, like the Akib Talibs. Akib was a hard guy to coach, but when you could crack the code, the guy would do anything for you. You know, you have those kind of guys. Then you have on the other side, the Daryl Stuckies, who from the day they step on campus would run through a wall for you without a question ever being asked. And you could yell at them, talk to them soft. It didn't matter. They took coaching, you know, same with like a, a, a Chris Harris. And then you get guys like Ben Heaney, you know, Ben Heaney, who, you know, you spend your entire you know time trying to keep him uh, from, you know, going absolutely crazy and losing control. And, you know, you learn the mental side of things on how to control guys and working with them. And, um, you know, and, and just every one of them had a, had a different story and a different way of, of going about it. And, you know, had some funny stories like my man, Kevin Short, who never played a down for me at Kansas, recruited him out of Fort Scott, never played a down for him. I call it my guy, Terry Delp with the Chiefs. And I uh, say, hey, this may be the best corner I've ever coached. And, uh, you know, and the Chiefs sign them. So, you know, you have, a, you have a way to help help uh, kids get to the next level. And they really didn't do anything. And, and Kevin Short, the guy messages me once a week now forever. But, no, I think I did. I think in all I had maybe 24 kids make NFL rosters. And, and all of them were, were really special and um, a lot of fun to coach. And, and then, you know, there's always the guys. Some of my favorite players were walk-on guys that, that just got – beat down for five years, never played in a game, and I have more respect for them than probably anybody in the world. Oh, that's that's terrific. Uh, that, that's so cool to see and uh, I'm so inspiring, I'm sure, on those walk-on guys. You mentioned Coach Mangino earlier. You, you, you still in, in touch with Coach Mangino? What's uh, what's your relationship with, uh, with, uh, with Mark like these days? What's he up to now? Well, we're, you know, we're not hangout buddies or, you know, texting each other and being buddies. I mean, yeah, I, I think there's – but – um, you know, we talk when there's something that comes up, you know, something important in each other's lives. We'll message each other back and forth. I mean, you know, he's obviously in, I think he's in Florida now and, and enjoying, you know, the, the grandpa life and, and those part of things. And, 
um, yeah, no, we had, we had a good relationship. We've, um, you know, the guy did amazing things for me and my family. Um, you know, I tell him, you know, I've never really had a lot of conversations, but you know, coach Mangino would push your buttons. I mean, it was, it was, um, a very businesslike, um, work environment and, and you, you know, there was a standard that had to be met, but that's what made him great was everybody in the program knew the standard. And when the standard wasn't met, there were consequences. And, you know, some people have a hard time with consequences. Some people have a hard time, um, you know, accepting responsibility when things don't go the way they want. And, uh, but that's not the real world. Coach Mangino's philosophy, it was, it was the real world every single day. You, know, you either performed or, or there were, there was a, a price to pay from, from him or whatever it was, but no, our relationship's good. I have tremendous respect for him. What he did as a head coach at Kansas, um, uh, it, the, how, how hard he had to work and the per perseverance, you know, I, I maybe didn't even appreciate it as much at the time as I do now that I'm a little bit older and look back the daily grind and the battles that guy had to fight every single day to get, get us to where we were at Kansas. It, it's a, it's a, it's a remarkable coaching job that he'll never get the credit he's due. Oh yeah. Well, and looking back on that orange bowl team, I, I know you're a, a defensive guy, Clint, but it seems like that that whole team took on the, the same chip on your shoulder personality that it, it blended on both sides of the ball. You had so many athletes, guys that changed positions from maybe what they played in high school there. Um, and you, just to see what that team did, I mean, it, it was it was so remarkable how much you guys were on the same page. At least it seemed that way from an outside perspective. Was that what, what you saw inside? It, it was. There were there were I always say there were there were maybe two things that, that don't get talked about enough about why that team was successful. The first is Coach Mangino, um, the guy can look at a high school videotape and see a, what everyone else in the room thinks is a bad player and see a good player and take him. And I'm talking Derek Fine, a drafted player nobody wanted. Marcus Henry, a drafted player nobody wanted. James Holt, a drafted player nobody wanted. And, and it goes on and on. Todd Reesing, a very good college player that nobody wanted. You know, um, they like two guys on our staff, Coach Mangino and Bill Young, could look at players and see something that other people couldn't see. You know, Russell Brorson's in Stillwater, Oklahoma. Oklahoma State won't even talk to him, and the guy's a four-year starter for us. Should not have played. Bill Young saw something. But, so, one, we had good players, James McClinton. I'm going to go on and on about guys that nobody recruited. Yeah. Chris Harris, that that we that were great players for us. And uh, so there was, an, there was an evaluation of high school prospects that was unbelievable. Now, we worked at it. We worked at it harder, and, and Coach Mangino had a system of how to evaluate guys. And so we had players on there that were that were good players. But Coach Mangino did a great job of getting those kids to understand we needed an edge. Even, even with what I said about our talented guys, I remember Moose Johnson before the Orange Bowl walks up to us, you know, little Dallas Cowboys guys standing there yeah. at midfield in pregame warm-up, and, and uh, he looks at us, our team, he goes, don't take this wrong. He's like, but your guys don't look like their guys. And so even with our better players, we still weren't the most physical, you know, bigger, stronger, faster team on the field every time. But Coach Mangino did a great job of getting those kids to understand – our edge was going to be our conditioning and we conditioned. I mean, those kids worked because the head coach pushed them to work, but they believed that that was going to be their edge, our conditioning and our toughness. Um, he, he did a great job of getting those players to believe that that is how we were going to win. Um, you know, being the guy, the underdog. We, we've seen, you know, just how much football's changed. Even recently, you mentioned conditioning, the toughness, 
can can you still do it that way now as what you did uh you know back then coach you you need to be yeah you need to be um a psychology major at times to to get that to happen i think now it's going to be a little bit tougher um you know the, the the recruiting is so crazy that the kids come in um with such an entitled uh, mentality about them getting them broken out of that right away is, is critical um you know and 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 it's hard you know kids have that exit plan and and i've never coached the guy people always, i'll say this i'll answer the, the question this way through the years, people always said, well, why do so many kids go to college and not pan out, you know, bust, whatever you want to call them. You know what I mean? That they don't, they don't play in the college level. And the number one reason why I think is because they can't handle getting their butt kicked when they're young and everyone's get their butt kicked. You're not going to step into a college football program at 18 and go against a 22 year old that's been training like his life depended on it because it does for four years and win that battle. And some kids never come over it, you know, um, you know, I go back to Charlie Weiss. Charlie was big on protecting the young kids. You know, you, you, we never put a young kid against an old kid and let him just get annihilated because he knew that that may lead to that kid's career being over him, never bouncing back from it. Um, I've worked for other guys where, you know, we threw them to the wolves and, and the ones that survived were the ones that made it. The problem with some kids now is that, that they have that free exit out of your program. All they got to do is, is go to compliance and say, I want to enter that transfer portal and I'm gone. And unfortunately, if you look at the high schools, how many kids transfer high school to high school, it's the answer now. It's things aren't going my way. I'm getting out of here. And yeah. uh, so so the psychology of college football right now, uh, it, it's getting more difficult. Yeah. Uh, philosophy wise, coaching philosophy, what, what do you want to do at the high school level? They, they say that, you know, that's where all the experimenting comes from, that, you know, where the game evolves of sorts from the high school levels on up to college, then pro football. What are you wanting to do uh, when it comes to just X's and O's there at LA Gibbs? Yeah, um, you know, de defensively, we probably end up kind of, um, I, I think, probably, probably uh, playing like you're playing K-State every week. Because I think in high school, you know, the, the best player on the team or the most athletic guy is usually the QB. And so you probably better have an answer for that QB uh, scrambling and running at all times, you know. So defensively, I think you're, you're playing K-State every week in my mind, you know, when they had L, you know, L. Roberson and then and, and Colin Kleins and the guys who could oh, yeah. pull it. Um, I, I uh, can't believe I'm going to say this, but as a defensive coach, but on offense, I just want to have as much fun as possible. And what appeared to me to be the most fun ever was when we played Art Bryles at Baylor. Those kids, when you'd play those guys offensively, they looked like they were having fun. So, um, you know, I got some connections down here with some Mark Bryles guys. And, and uh, yeah, I, I kind of – I want to snap the football as fast as we can, throw it as far as we can, and, and, and let the kids have some fun, you know, playing with, with that style of football. And, and uh, which as a defensive coach goes against everything that we're, you know, ever wanted on the other side of the ball. But, um, yeah, that, that's a big part. Philosophy-wise, I want to get as many kids in this program. I want to touch the youth football uh, get as many kids playing as possible and, and, uh, and get out of the fear of, you know, that's, you know, football is kind of a game under attack right now in terms yeah. of the concussions and, and that and I want to, I want to try and change that culture in Lawrence, Kansas with, you know, getting parents to, to believe that we can play the game of football safe because football now is so much different 
I mean, we, we, we'll, we'll never practice in full pads in my entire time at Lawrence High, you know I mean? And, and that's just the way football is right now. You can't afford to get kids hurt, yeah. um, you know, you, and, and it's the right thing. It used to be you got a concussion. As soon as you could count to four, you were back in the game. Well, now it's, you you know, four weeks later before a kid's back in the game. So you get a kid a concussion in practice. It's a big deal now, and, and that's the way it should be. So we got to get the game uh, back to where people feel they can go out for it and, and that's something that, that I want to do and, and um, you know, get as many kids back out as we, as we possibly can, get them involved. Yeah. Well, you, you mentioned uh, the, the, the Baylor offense, uh, something similar you want to see, you know, with LHS and such. One of the things that has changed football so much as of late is just how much the RPO offense has evolved and such. Clint, as a defensive guy, what's been your approach to attacking the, the RPO? How do you defend this? There's so many different things these offenses can do now. It is. It is. Fortunately, the, uh, you know, still it's very rare, you know, the, the, the RPO game uh, for most teams is either going to be run or pass, you know, uh, in terms of it's not the third level. And by that, I mean, the, the true danger RPO is when the QB carries the ball, you know, and that's, that's the third element right now, when you're just dealing with either, either handing it off or throwing, throwing the ball outside, it eliminates that third option that, that some teams truly get to where the QB pulling it and running it uh, creates the, the, the old school triple option, which is, uh, and, um, you know, that makes it one, one step harder, but um, yeah, the game, the game's difficult. There's, there's, there's no more, um, you know, you, you got to limit what players see, you know, that uh, a tackle pulling or a guard pulling really doesn't mean run anymore. And let's face it, the, in the college game, I'm not sure about high school, but, but, the old lineman, I, I can't tell you how many times I'd have. I got one great clip. We're playing Central Michigan. Um, Joe Deneen is nine yards downfield, right in the curl where he's supposed to be. They throw the ball, and an old lineman is cutting him. He's making a play on the ball while an offensive lineman is cutting him nine yards downfield, and there's no call. I mean, there's no call at all, and it, yeah. it never is. So, you know, traditional, you know, you teach defensive kids read, run, pass. Um that, that's a scary world right now because everything says run and it has nothing to do with the run. So um, I think, you know, you had to change the, the focus of players' eyes, what they're keying, what they're reading, and, and, and get a more uh, and singular vision as opposed to the, the Tony Dungy, read the triangle, wide out the tackle to QB. Yeah, well, that tackle pulls and it's a run fake and the wide out's running a, a deep ball. So you know, figure that one out. Oh, that's that's great. Uh, last thing, we'll, we'll end on this. Uh, you know, in particular here with what we've seen in our area with the Chiefs last year, their offense, you know, has just been so amazing. And the, the way they won the Super Bowl a couple of years ago, and you know, got back to the Super Bowl this past year, certainly raised the question around all the football world: great offense versus great defense. The the theory is, you know, that defense. You know, offense wins games, defense wins championships. Clint, what say you as far as where the game's at right now? Does great offense uh -oh. beat great defense, or is great defense beat great offense? Oh, boy, that, that's a tough one. You better be great on defense because the reality is that uh, nobody has enough depth that if it's even close, I mean, if it's not just a complete beatdown, your defense is going to wear out. It's harder to play defense. You have to get 11 guys running every single play. Offense doesn't. Often doesn't have to get eleven guys running every play, you know they 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 uh, and they sub sub more. But so yeah, if great defense is going to win, it needs to truly be great. You know they need to dominate the game because if it's even, if it's even by the end of the fourth quarter, kind of like I say, the, the offense is probably leaving. You know the they uh, the fatigue factor will 
we'll, we'll jump in there eventually and, and uh, defenses wear out before offenses. So, no, in, in reality right now, I think when you look at the scoreboard every, every uh, Saturday and Sunday, it's, it's pretty clear that uh, great offenses are beating, beating great defenses because, you, you know, you've you got to be so much better on the defensive side of the ball um, that it's, you know, it, it's tough. But there are still the guys that are doing the complimentary football, you know, um, running that play clock down, protecting their defense, and, and more of that's starting to pop back in. So, um, tough call. Yeah, for sure. Coach, uh, before we let you go, tell people where they can find you with uh, the, the website you got going on, the, the different programs and camps. I mean, uh, as far as I know, you don't even have to be involved with Lawrence High School to, to check out some of the stuff you got going on. Right. No, I, I do. They can go there. It's uh, coachclintbowen.com. And I'm really offering two services that I believe in. One, uh, DB training on an online platform. You know, I, I, you know, kids, it's amazing down here where I'm at and open my eyes. Kids are paying 75, 80 bucks an hour to get a guy to teach them how to backpedal. And I can't imagine how parents are dumping that money in there. Now I'm, I'm trying to make money. I'm not like a saint or anything, but, um, you know, but mine is a, a way that I can teach kids how to play football, tackle, press man, all that on online. They can buy my service. I communicate with them, watch their drills. The other one is I really do want to help people in recruiting. I have a, and, and it, it sounds like a lot to me, but I have a $300 package, which in recruiting advisement, $2,000 is the norm. And I promise I can get everything a kid needs to know to get through COVID recruiting um, on that package uh, to, to help them get through this recruiting process. Because the number one question I always get asked is, how do I get my kid recruited? It, it's a tough process. It's difficult. There's a lot of angles and there's a lot of dirty stuff that goes on that people need to be aware of. If there's a kid sitting out there and he has a scholarship offer and he thinks that means he has a scholarship offer, they need educated because a scholarship offer really doesn't mean anything anymore. You know, I mean, it it just means that, that they have some interest. So people need to understand what the business part of recruiting. So, you know, once again, just coachclintbowen.com. And, and I have some services on there that I'm trying to provide some affordable options to really help families through some of this stuff. That's great. Coachclintbowen.com is the website. Coach, we appreciate the time. Welcome back to Lawrence, and uh, we'll be talking down the line. Thanks for joining us. All right, thank you. Big thanks to Clint Bowen for joining us here on the Jones Report. Tyler Jones, Thomas Bridges, back here with you now. Time for this week's edition of the O'Connor Advisory Group Football Fix. Coach Bo's Football Fix as Brian O'Connor joins us right now. And as always, you can reach out to Bo at O'Connor Advisor Group at 785-856-0720. That's 856-0720 to schedule an appointment today online at O'ConnorAdvisorGroup.com, O-A-G-K-S.com as well. And by email at Brian.O'Connor at LPL.com. Bo, what's going on? Thanks for joining us as always, man. Hey, thanks for having me on, Tyler. I always enjoy it. No doubt, no doubt. What's going on this week at uh, OAG? Uh, we're trying to get caught up. I had to go out of town for a day for a help a family member out, but we're back, you know, get caught up and uh, Hey, you know, what we're doing is we're helping people here. It's March and we're getting ready for, you know, if you file, if you filed your taxes or even if you haven't yet, if you need to make a, um, a contribution to an IRA for a tax deduction, we can help you with that. Still, we can still do a deduction for last year for 2020 it is still not too late. If you need to do it to um, take a tax deduction for put money in traditional IRA, we can open you one and still get it classified for 2020. We can even work with your accountant or your tax preparer to help you with that. Uh, we can do it in all states. So give us a shout. We'd love to be a part of that with you. 
Um, and then also, if you've got the tax return money coming in or some stimulus money, it's a little extra, and you're saying, hey, I need to get started. We've got some ideas, and we can start. You know, it's a great way to get started with an idea, like maybe with a Roth IRA or some sort of savings plan. Or if you're thinking about buying a house, you say, I want to get something going, maybe put a down payment on a house in a few years. Well, let's help you. We can do that, show you how to do that. Great time to get things started like that, especially when you've got the possibility of extra stimulus or sometimes tax returns for hitting about this time. Oh, yeah. 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 And uh, for more info, check out O'Connor Advisory Group at OAGKS.com, O'ConnorAdvisoryGroup.com as well for more information there. Bo, let's start out in the National Football League with Russell Wilson as he has not requested a trade, but he has given some teams that he'd be willing to be traded to. It is worth noting that he has a no-trade clause. He would have to waive for any trade to happen, and so the cards are essentially in his hands at this point. We knew about the Seahawks talking about some things publicly within the last few weeks, and now Russell has made his response. What do you make of this situation? It seems like the Seahawks would be tr- would be crazy to depart from uh, Russell Wilson here. And the teams that he listed that he'd be interested in, Dallas, New Orleans, the, the Las Vegas, and Chicago, um, none of those situations seem any better than what he's got in Seattle, uh, especially Chicago. Why, why would Russell want to play in Chicago? That makes no sense. Yeah, I, I I wonder on the Chicago thing. I, I think that let's first go back to like why this is happening. Um, I wonder one of two things. This is either Russell just wants people to block for him, and or he's having a problem and it's quarterback and coach and it's this dynamic of who's right, who's in charge. Quarterbacks want to be in charge, head coaches want to be in charge. I don't see how Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll just can't get along. I mean that's. That seems like a, a marriage made in heaven. It has been so far. Russell Wilson's right in that, yeah, he needs some protection. That offensive line has not been great. Um, my understanding from something I had reports I read a week ago and two weeks ago was that during the season, a big fight was offensive coaches wanting to get uh, more of a running game started and Russell wanting to do more passing game, more of him being, you know, Russell Wilson centric in the offense. Uh, listen, you can do both those things. You can do both those things really simply. Get on the same page about your offensive line, and you can both run the ball and let the quarterback have his way. It's just simple as that. Just correct the offensive line. If they go to Wilson and say, look, we're going to get you some linemen, then he'll be okay with whatever the game plan is. Um, you know, it, it could be just that one of those, you know, they're frustrated. Seahawks haven't been as good the last couple of years as they were at the beginning of Russ's career. It's probably just some frustration. Uh, I don't suspect that Russell Wilson's going to get traded. I think that's a, a huge shock to the system if you're Seattle. And if you're Pete Carroll, he's one of the oldest coaches in the NFL. Why would he want to start over? You've got a great quarterback, and you've got a team that is going to at least be competitive to get in the playoffs every year. Why take a huge step back in losing a franchise quarterback a guy who really is a is an MVP candidate. I mean, he's in the conversation. Um, I think this is going to be something that's going to get kind of washed over in the end. But who knows? I mean, we've seen Deshaun Watson stuff blow up. Could Russell Wilson stuff blow up now? To your point on a couple of the destinations, Chicago only makes sense if 
the commitment to Russell Wilson is it's your offense. It's your offense. We got a defense. We'll play. Their defense isn't bad. If they're thinking if the Bears think they're a quarterback away, then that makes sense to the organization. I don't know why it makes sense to Russell, though. Um, Dallas makes sense if it's a Dak for Russell deal. But I don't see Dallas doing that. I don't see what the advantage to Dallas would be. Um, I mean, it, it, Dallas gets a better player in Russell Wilson than Dak Prescott, but I don't know that there's a cost that's well, I don't know if it's worth it to either side. Um, New Orleans, well, hey, a resident Saints fan here, I would love this. But there's a thing called the salary cap. <laughs> and until the Saints can figure out how not to screw up the salary cap, they're not getting Russell Wilson. Las Vegas is the one intriguing place to me. If there's anybody who would pull the trigger on a big deal, could you see John Gruden doing it? Yeah. That's the one place that makes sense to me. Yeah. Yeah, that's the, out of those four, I think the most likely is Las Vegas and Chicago. Like the least likely is Dallas. I think Nola's kind of in there in the third spot. But, I mean, I think New Orleans would want him. I think there'd be a lot of mutual interest there. I just don't think, I don't know how the GM, Mickey Loomis of the Saints could pull that off. Um, yeah, I think the biggest thing they could do is, is for the for the Seahawks' sake and for Russell Wilson's sake, they just need to make up, play nice, and and move on. And just say, hey, look, we just had a, a spat because we're frustrated how the year ended. Right. Well, one more thing I'll say on this Russell Wilson stuff, and then we'll move on. If you're the Seahawks, and I know that you've had a great thing going, especially with the longevity of Pete Carroll, John Snyder, the GM, and Pete and Russell Wilson have all been together the entire time. But if you're making me choose, Bo, and, and don't get me wrong, I love Pete Carroll. You know, he's a Hall of Fame football coach at both the college and NFL level. But at his age and, and you know, with other GM candidates possible out there to replace John Snyder, you make me choose, I'm taking Russell Wilson. And I, I would fire uh, Pete Carroll and John Snyder before I'd get rid of Russell Wilson. I agree. I agree with you 100. percent I think that I don't think you, I don't think that Pete Carroll's gonna get fired anytime soon. But I mean, you also gotta look at the age thing on Pete Carroll. I mean, you got Russell Wilson in his prime, 32, and Pete Carroll's not a young man. He he chomps that gum like he is. Um, you know, there's gonna be a time where Pete Carroll can't be the coach of that team anymore. And I just think that if you're the Seahawks, you just kind of figure out a way to play nice. You know, make yeah. everybody happy. Get everybody in the same room. You get them in the same room, sing Kumbaya, do what you got to do, and, and make it work. I mean, those two men, Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll, don't seem like two guys who would be um, guys who would hold a grudge. They just both don't come off that way. I don't know either of them, obviously, but they just don't seem that way. It seems like this is a lot of misunderstanding. Yeah. It could probably be hashed out by just getting in a room together. Right. Staying in the NFC West, J.J. Watt coming to Arizona. Got a nice payday out of it. Two-year deal worth over $30 million to join the Cardinals. And this one was kind of a surprising move, Bo, as the Cardinals weren't really a team that was talked about as a destination for J.J., but ultimately money talks and they had the best offer. Yeah, I heard that there was a couple offers that were close. Was it just purely the money in this situation here? I, I don't know what the other offers were. When I heard the money was two years, 
23 guaranteed, 35 total. Is that the number that's right? Yeah. That, that seems like a really high number for that for J.J. Watt. Uh, so I can see that. I think that DeAndre Hopkins is probably a big part of that. They were, you know, they were teammates in Houston. And I mean, what J.J. Watt football-wise is looking at saying, well, that's a division that could be open. You know, you have, um, you know, all four of those teams in that division are, are good. And you have, there's nobody who's just so much better than everybody. J.J. Watt can make a difference if the, if the Cardinals have some DBs to play there. They'll be fine. Um, so I, I see where the Cardinals need a pass rush. It's a good fit. Uh, you know, a guy in at the same division where you have Russell Wilson, where you have um, – now you have Matt Stafford, so you're going to have to have some pass rush. I guess the fit is there. It is surprising. I thought J.J. Watt was going to end up – I mentioned a couple weeks ago, I thought he was going to end up at Kansas City. Um, but it doesn't like the Chiefs are even trying right now. Um, I think what's – I thought he was going to be someone that chases a ring. And I still think that's going to happen with some free agents. I just thought that J.J. Watt might be the first one and probably the most high-profile of those. Well, in the case of Arizona, this is a team that was much improved last year, 8-8, eight and eight, but there's still some glaring weaknesses. This team isn't Super Bowl caliber yet. Not saying they, they can't be maybe in the second year of that contract, but they're not there right now. Well, I think that Watt's thinking that if the pass rush is there defensively, that defensively they might be. Um, they're going to lose Patrick Peterson. He's either going to get cut or release or, or going to, you know, that's going to happen sooner than later, I think. Uh, that was with the cap. And then they got a couple of young, young DBs. Their, their pass rush is weak. That's good. That's a big, big glaring gap for them. Again, it's one of the situations where if you can get into the playoffs, you can make some noise. I think that's what Seattle, well, I'm sorry, what Arizona's looking at get in and then there's probably a progression to saying, well where is Kyler Murray going to be one year from now you know where is he going to be to be you know beginning the next season he's better he seems to improve every year you know is the next logical point him being that franchise guy and if so J.J. Watts may be looking at it going hey it's warm in Arizona a young quarterback who can play this might be a fun yeah maybe he's uh looking forward to standing in the corner in Winslow Arizona just to find said <laughs> Um, <laughs> speaking of, uh, you mentioned, uh, players getting released, uh, Kyle Rudolph spent 10 years with Minnesota, very good run there. And he gets released. He said he was shocked by it. He was surprised that he was let go by Minnesota friend of the show, fellow lover of, uh, Shake Shack, Diana Rossini tweeted out today that, uh, uh, she's been talking to NFL coaches and about the upcoming cuts and said that it's going to be a massacre next week around the league. We know the cap's going down, Bo. Uh, Kyle Rudolph seems like the first of many that are going to be let go here in the uh, coming days. Yeah, I think the word massacre is going to be absolutely correct. Um, yeah, Kyle Rudolph, I mean, it's it's not that he's a bad player. And that's what you also got to think about what's going to happen with these other players coming up, is that it's not these players are bad. It's not or too old. It's, it's not. It, the Vikings have had have a couple players they like. They like Irv Smith. They got a couple of other things they like at that position. Veterans cost money. And the problem is now is if, if in this salary cap where it actually went down and, and down quite a bit, now teams are going, uh-oh, we got to figure out. So teams are going to end up being in almost like two categories. 
you're going to have teams that just say, okay, we're going to punt on 2021 because of the cap and the cap issues we currently have. And there's going to be teams that's trying to get creative. And the first thing they're going to do is start cutting veterans. And, and that's the easiest way to save cap money. Uh, and, you know, Kyle Rudolph was going to the last year of his contract. It didn't hurt him dead money wise. You know, that was one. I don't see how he didn't see it coming because anybody who can read over the cap.com and look at it can say, yep, he gone. I mean, you can look at the rosters. I mean, you can pull it up and say, hey, here's what they'll save. And you can tell who's going to get cut. Yeah. I can, so, see, I can sit there and go team for team with you if you want, but it'd take a long time. I, I could tell you half a dozen guys right in, in, going through here who are going to get cut. So so give me the synopsis, the, uh, the Cliff Notes okay. version. Who are the – the notable cuts that you expect in the coming days. Uh, I'll go through a couple of teams. One, Patrick Peterson. That's the one I do see coming. Arizona's going to jump all over. That's going to save them cap space. Uh, let me look. We're going to go teams here. A couple of them I looked at. Um, the Chiefs are going to cut Eric Fisher. That's a huge cap savings. Uh, so for local folks. Now, what will happen, it doesn't mean you can't go re-sign the player. Right. It just means you to cut them now and you make a deal. Um, you also might see some restructuring of contracts, but I don't think you'll see that with him. Um, like I pulled up the Chiefs real quick, and the ones there was a couple that stood out to me. Um, what was it here? The two big ones were Eric, were uh, Eric Fisher, and uh, Mitchell Schwartz. Okay, uh, it was the Chiefs. Um, the, uh, one of the other teams, you're going to look at all the teams who are way over on the cap. That's what they're going to have to do. They're going to have to say, okay, who do we have, you know, that's getting paid 10, 12 million, and they're in the last year of their deal. They don't have any deferred bonus. Teams that have deferred too much bonus, the ones are going to get killed. Um, for instance, the New Orleans Saints are going to cut Marshawn Lattimore. They're also going to cut Ryan Ramchak, and they're going to cut Quan Alexander. And that those three guys between them are going to save them thirty-five million dollars in their salary cap. That's a lot. Yeah, get it, especially when you're, and they're currently sixty-four million over. Okay. So teams are having to figure out where we go. How do we go down? Um, I'll try to get other players we saw. There's a number. You can, you can go look at your team. Go to overthecap.com. If you're a nerd at all, overthecap.com. Pull up your team and look at it, and it'll show you on there. There's it's like the drop-down menus for each player. Okay, well, what if they get cut before June 1st? What if they get cut after June 1st? And well, the way the dead cap number works is that each player has a cap number based on their salary plus bonuses for that year. Now, if you have a player who has taken a signing bonus – it's prorated over the life of the contract. So like a Patrick Mahomes, who, if you notice when he took his deal, they did something unique. They made his like every other year is the big year. And it wasn't as much of a signing bonus. And that helped them cap wise, flexibility wise. Deshaun Watson got a bonus and every year is high. And so if you cut that player or trade that player, you have to take all the deferred bonus and count that toward your salary cap. That's what happened with Carson Wentz. So Carson Wentz is the fourth highest charge of any player to the salary cap in the NFL in 2021. But the team taking that charge is the Eagles. Right. Not the team he's playing for, the Colts. 
So that's where teams are going to have to, like when I say the have the teams that are just going to punt on the season, they're going to go ahead and cut players who have a dead money number because they don't pay that money. They've already paid it. It's just that they're the dead cap, and they go, okay, look, we're going to have a bigger salary cap next year. There's also going to be more TV money, so it's going to go way up. If we get all these cap problems out of the way, we can stink for a year, and we'll have a chance next season. Right. And I think you'll see a number of teams do that. Um, other veterans, I'm trying to think off the top of my head here. I don't want to go through all of them, but, um, you know, quarterback-wise, you know, uh, the, the, the Raiders have two of them, Marcus Mariota and – Derek Carr, one of the two of them is getting cut. Um, I think it's going to be Mariota. I personally would not cut Mariota. I would keep Carr. Or I would I would keep Mariota and cut Carr for football purposes. But um, salary cap wise, they could both go. And if they trade for Russell Wilson, they will both get cut. Yeah, um, so they can save salary cap money that way. We mentioned with the cap going down that uh, you know it's around 185 million, I believe. Do you think anyone, even with the cap going down, is going to be a big spender of sorts that sees these veterans out there as an opportunity? All right, we're a couple players away. We need these pieces, or maybe we have some extra salary cap to work with. Is there anybody you expect to to go after some of these guys and and spend some money? So if you want to look to see the teams that can uh, go out and do some spending, and this is where it would be kind of interesting. So you might have a couple of players. I know we talked last week. I said I thought only Dak Prescott would be the only guy to get a big contract this offseason. I'm going to hedge my bet just a little bit here. I'm going to say that I think Dak's the only one that gets the monster contract. But you might see some people who get a couple of extra years or some extra money, just as you said, from a few of these teams that do have a lot of salary cap space. Um, The two teams with the largest salary cap space right now are also the teams that are picking one and two in the draft. It is the Jaguars and the Jets. And so it tells me that the Jets can be a player for a quarterback in free agency if they don't want to draft one. We know that the Jaguars are most likely to draft Trevor Lawrence. Number three and four on the cap space, though, these are the players. These are the players who can go get a bunch of guys or they can go get someone and pay over pay. The Indianapolis Colts are four. Who did I tell you throughout the season was playing chess while everybody else is playing checkers this season? Oh, uh, who, who did you say? Uh, the, the New England, yes. New England, the Patriots. The Patriots have $62 million under the cap right now. Woo! And what do they not have? They don't have a quarterback. Yeah. So if there's anybody that can make a big play for a big player, it could be them. Uh, the Colts are pretty set now. I mean, they're going to think they're going to state their case with Carson Wentz. So you could see the Colts be a team that goes and gets uh, a couple of linemen or a couple of skill position players, pays them a little bit extra that nobody else is willing to pay because of the cap. So you can maybe see that um, the Broncos, Washington and the Bengals are the next three. And then under there, pretty much there's a big group that are all together. But I would look at those first four. Jaguars, Jets, Patriots, Colts. Those are the ones who have the most flexibility. The most attractive of those places, I think, is the Patriots. I don't think it's the Colts because I don't think most players want to play with Carson Wentz. I think they see the fraud that he is. (laughs) The Jets are the team that can overhaul their team very quickly. 
So they're a team that could be a player in a Dak Prescott trade. Right. So I wouldn't be surprised, but I don't think it's likely. I, I, when I say that, I don't think it's likely that Dallas is going to trade Dak Prescott. But we have to have something to talk about in March. And, 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 ESPN has, and ESPN and Fox Sports have got a whole lot of time to fill. And we got to make sure that, that you know, Colin Cowherd and Stephen A. Smith and, um, and Skip Bayless have something to argue about. So, yeah, that's, that's where that stuff comes in. And we have to fill space. Uh, but, yeah, the team that can overhaul their team is the New York Jets. Okay. It, it, it can be – you can get five players the salary cap they're in. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. There'll be two or three players for quarterbacks, but I don't see any of the big quarterbacks moving unless it's Deshaun Watson. And I still think the Deshaun Watson thing is – I'm beginning to think it's going to happen. Okay. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's talk one more NFL item. And I, I want to go back in time a little bit. Uh, a, a game that was uh, very familiar for both of you two um, when we had the uh, NFC Championship between the Rams and Saints and the uh, infamous you know, non-pass interference that ultimately uh, resulted in us making pass interference reviewable for a year and that whole debacle and and uh, I mean, it was just bad, right? I mean, uh, you know, Tom, you got to be uh, you know celebrating, but it was uh, the the Saints were the sacrificial lamb of sorts, you know, we, we, of what they put us through for that whole season, all that all that griping that they did, you know, that that caused that uh, that rule to change, make it review. I mean, I guess they had a chance in overtime, and Greg the Leg sealed the deal, and <laughs> Rams went on to go to the Super Bowl, and we know what happened after that, but so. With that being said, that didn't work. Well, now, uh, pass roughing the passer is being considered to be reviewable. And I don't know how I feel about this, Bo. Uh, what do you think as, as a coach yourself? Would you like the idea of roughing the passer being reviewable? Okay, so I've got a strong opinion on roughing the passer. Um, this whole, if we just touch a quarterback in the helmet, it's roughing the passer. If they're going to review that then no, I'm totally against this. Because I, I don't know what the percentage is, but I would love to see the percentage of how many times it was called roughing the passer when it was a player you know, kind of slapping at a helmet. You know, it's an, it, you're swinging for the ball coming out. You're trying to get your hand up to block a pass as a defensive lineman, and then all of a sudden your hand comes down, you hit a quarterback in the head, and it's 15 yards. And the quarterback never even moved. Um, no, I think it's a horrible idea. I, I, don't, I don't like the idea of reviewing a lot of this stuff. Um, and I'm the Saints fan here. You know, I, the pass interference thing, we got robbed. I mean, we can, that's a touchdown and we win the game. I mean, it's over. And we win the Super Bowl. Drew Brees has two, but an official decided he didn't want to throw his freaking hanky. <laughs> I mean, come on, that's awful. But, you know, we, we're getting to a point where we just can't – we can't use video to start overturning and calling penalties because what's next? The next extrapolation of that is offensive hold. And then you're going to get somebody hit every play. I mean, it's going to be bad. I just don't think that, I mean, if we keep making things reviewable and more reviewable and penalties, it's just not, I don't know. I don't think this is a good solution. I'm of the belief. I'm kind of old school on this one. You either got to review everything or nothing. 
Well, and it seems like, uh, Bo, and, you know, if you disagree with me on this, that's fine, um, that when the pass interference was revealed, you know, what was that two years ago now, that the the refs kind of had a revolt of some sorts. They were not happy that it was yeah. reviewable. And that even no. calls that looked like, all right, this is the one that should be overturned, I felt like they were intentionally not overturning them to send a message to the league. And ultimately it worked um, to, to get that taken out. Um, you know, based on the way that went, who's to say that officials are actually going to take the time that we're not wasting time. They're actually going to overturn this stuff. Um, I, yeah. I would think that there's a sense of pride that they're like, no, we don't want to, uh, you know, take away from somebody on our own crew. We don't want to call out our own official here. Yeah. I don't necessarily disagree with you. And I, I'm not a hundred percent with you, but I'm not a hundred percent against you either. I think there's some truth to that. You know, they don't want to overturn a, a call for an official and, when you have things that are a judgment call, like some pass interference can be, you, know, you can say that's pass interference on damn near every play. You can say that's holding on damn near every play. You can, there is a little bit of that. What I would do if they're going to make these things reviewable, I would take that out of the coach's hands. I would make that similar to what in college they do where they stop a play and buzz down for like the targeting rule. If it's something where there's an official sitting in a room and he goes, ooh, that might have been bad buzz it, and then take a look. I'd be for that, but I'm not for that being a coach's challenge because we could sit here and coach's challenge in every play if you wanted to. <laughs> I mean, I think about it. The next, the next thing is going to be, oh, we want to protect our quarterbacks, and so we want to make sure that defensive linemen don't do certain things. And then you're going to have defensive coaches saying, well, wait a minute, these offensive tackles are holding every play. I mean, that's what it's going to come down to. So if you're going to have reviews for things like pass interference or roughing the passer, you know, you have to have a rule, you have to establish it, and you have to figure out how are you going to judge it. A judgment call is an issue, and you can't challenge that. You can't challenge a judgment. It's, not, it's an opinion of what you think happened, what you saw and interpreted. So if you do that, I think you take that piece out of the coach's hands. I'd be open to an idea like that. I just don't see how they're going to enforce some of this. And I also think as far as the, pass, the roughing the passer stuff, I'll go a step further. I think certain quarterbacks get calls that certain others don't. If you don't believe me, watch Tom Brady play. Right. Watch Patrick Mahomes play. I mean, they get calls that other quarterbacks don't. Well, it just happens. Well, and then on the on the flip side of that too, uh, I would add, if you're going to go in on this of the idea of making roughing the passer reviewable, then it, it's got to go both ways. Then you have to, you should if you're going to do this, you got to go all in in the sense of okay, well then let me challenge. I thought that was roughing the passer, and you missed the call. If you're going to do this, it's got to work both sides. I think. Well, that's where the challenge thing has to be thrown out because. Now you're saying, well, um, I think that was roughing the passer. Well, if we have one person that decides, then, okay, we got it. One referee, so to speak. I, I don't know there's a good solution here. 
again, I think it's something where we're, we're trying to legislate way too much in the game. I mean, it, there's, I'm okay with some of the targeting stuff. I'm okay with some of the pass interference, you know, when it's gross, when it's what happened in that Saints game. I'm not saying as a Saints fan, but the guy got tackled before the ball got there. You know, even if that had been the Dallas Cowboys, it would have been like, holy shit, he got screwed. You know, I mean, yeah, I, I get that. But are they really going to sit here and review it? So here's my question on reviewing the, the uh, roughing the passer. So you're Andy Reid, and Mahomes is on a play, and Mahomes runs to the sideline. He makes one of these outstanding throws. He gets rid of the ball. It's an incomplete pass. But on the way down to the ground, the guy who caught him, caught up the defensive lineman that caught up to him, was going down with him, and his hand hit Mahomes' head. If his hand touches Mahomes' head, that's roughing the passer. Does he get to challenge that and get 15 yards in an automatic first down? Right. You know, that's what the problem is, is that we're going to legislate a bunch of stuff here. I, I, I don't think I'd be for this. I certainly wouldn't be for it in a coach's challenge situation. I'd what? be okay with it if it's a gross miss call. Sure. Miss call. I think you should have someone who can buzz down. Whether that's pass interference, rough in the pass or holding, if it's gross and we saw it, okay, we got to buzz down. But we can't be ticky-tack on every play. Right. That's what's, what's going to happen. Especially a situation roughing the passer is something where it's the it's something where it's the quarterback, the most watched player on the field. Right. You know, you ever notice that they don't do these calls, these things for the center? <laughs> The nose tackle. They don't change any rules for the center and the nose tackle. You ever notice that? We we were just talking to, to Clint Bowen just a bit ago, and he said, you notice they don't hardly call an eligible man downfield anymore. Um, oh, oh, don't get me started on that. Oh, they let the lineman no. go that, nine and, yards down the field. Yeah, I'll tell you that one. That one, and I'll tell you the worst one in the NFL, is illegal formation because the tackles are lined up a damn yard off the line of scrimmage. Watch any offensive play at third and long. And what you'll see is two tackles who are a half a yard off the line of scrimmage because they got their right foot back two yards. They know a pass rush is coming. And they're not on the line of scrimmage. They're not eligible either. Right. Yeah. It's – oh, I was – if I was an NFL head coach, I would throw a challenge flag on that. I'd be like, hey, he's not on the line of scrimmage. It's an illegal formation. Fourth down. Let's go. John Gruden would lose his mind if he actually thought about that one day. I'm sure he probably has. We got you fired up. I love it. That one, that one, that one fires me up every time I watch it. Every time I see a tackle, it's usually the right tackle. It's usually the right tackle. It's one of the better defensive players. Tom, this bow right here, this is the bow we need to go drink with sometime. That is. uh, You're right. That's the getting fired up about something and <laughs> I'm ready to run. This I'm is run. when the raging Cajun comes out. I get it. Yeah, I, I'm ready to run through a brick wall for, for Bo right now. <laughs> no more penalties and slapping the quarterback in the helmet. Now I agree. Uh, I agree with the you know the ticky tack bullshit that the coaches could call. I mean, if they yeah. if they had it for offensive holding, the Rams would have backed each and every team up because Aaron Donald's held on almost every play. Yeah, great I mean, it's example. Part, it's, it's part of the game. It's a great example. You know, and, I mean, and he would be Sean McVay would have a field day. Yeah. 
And that's why I say you can't have the, if you're going to challenge a penalty, they shouldn't have any challenges penalties. The only time a penalty should be overturned is if a third party, the NFL could put somebody up there in the box. Hell, the XFL did it. They had the guy with the Xbox controller. <laughs> if the XFL can do it, the NFL can do it. And, um, and, and that's something they should do. They should have somebody just simply buzz us down. Watch an SEC game on a Saturday afternoon. It happens, this happens all the time on targeting. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we can do that. We want to protect the And that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to protect players. I get that. Especially in this case, quarterbacks, the highest paid guys on the team. So I understand the reasoning for it. And I'm not against the reasoning for it. But I think that's one of the most ticky-tack calls in the NFL. And how in the hell are you going to let coaches challenge that? Because you're going to run out of challenges. Right. You might run out of challenges in the first quarter. <laughs> and that's, that's even and if you the win. The Cincinnati Bengals would never have a challenge in the second quarter or after a game because the offensive line ain't going to block anybody, and Burrow's going to take three shots to the head. Right. And, you know, the way the challenges work in the NFL, you you get two, and if you win it, then you get a, get a third. third. Yeah. And so, yeah, you would be out at that point. Uh, yeah. So. Yeah, it just, I don't like the idea of the challenge. I don't see anything good. And there are times where officials are human, just like all the rest of us, and they're going to miss something. And when do we see that? We see that in games because all the different camera angles. And we see it so quickly. If we can see it so quickly as fans, well, surely someone in the booth for the NFL can. Right. Hit a button and stop the play. Yeah. That's easy enough. All right. That's the way I would legislate that. I got one more for you on the college end of things. Uh, ESPN, because they have a lot of free time on their hands now with the end of the college football season, uh, released their top 60 quarterbacks of the 2000s. And the list for those at home that have not seen this, because I believe it's behind a paywall of ESPN Plus. And so we're here to save you $5.99. They ranked Baker Mayfield number one, Cam Newton number two, Vince Young three, Tim Tebow, four, Joe Burrow, five, Deshaun Watson, six, Kyler Murray, seven, Lamar Jackson, eight, Marcus Mariota, nine, RG3, 10. Here's some other notables. Trevor Lawrence, 11, Colt McCoy, 12, Johnny Menzel, 13, Kellen Moore, 14, Sam Bradford, 15, Jameis Winston, 16, Matt Leinert, 17, Andrew Luck, 18, Tua, Tunga Viola, 19, Phillip Rivers, 20, Carson Palmer, 21, uh, Jalen Hurts, 23. Russell Wilson, 24. Uh, Big Ben, 26. Justin Fields, 27. Colin Kaepernick, 29. Jason White, 30. Troy Smith, 31. Graham Hurl, 32. Chase Daniel, 33. Ken Dorsey, 34. Matt Mac Jones, 35. Landry Jones, 36. Alex Smith, 37. Colin Klein, 38. Colt Brennan, 39. Aaron Murray, 40. Uh, Eric Crouch, 42. Brady Quinn, 43. Eli Manning, 44. Kyle Trask, 45. Um, Derek Carr, 49. Joey Harrington, 52. Mason Rudolph, 53. Pat Mahomes, 54. Todd Reasing, 55. Aaron Rodgers, 56. Matt Barkley, 57. Zach Wilson, 58. Andy Dalton, 59. Kevin Cobb, 60. So those are just some of the Notables from that list. Bo, what do you think? That's not some. That's all. I think you read the whole list. I I skipped uh, uh, several. Okay. (laughs) Uh, What do you make? All right. So you you, 
you sent this to me earlier and I took a look at it and I was like, I started at the bottom and I went, oh no, this is going to cost here. The first ones that stuck, so I had like three from 40 to 60 and I was like, these are grossly underrated. Um, Byron Leftwich is grossly underrated. Uh, Eli Manning is grossly underrated. Uh, Joey Harrington is grossly overrated. I'm sorry, underrated. He should have been those two guys. These three guys alone should not be in the forties. They got to be much higher. Um, Colin Klein at thirty-eight. All right, so I want to know what guy from Kansas wrote this thing because he put <laughs> Colin Klein at thirty-eight and he had to stick in Todd Reason. So someone from Kansas wrote this. All, all I'm saying, I'm just you know, I, yeah. Um, all right. Let's go to the front because this is where I really took some issues. There's a couple of them in there. First, I mean, Russell Wilson's too high. Um, Philip Rivers is way too high. Andrew Luck is grossly lo- too low. Matt Leiner is grossly too low. Yes. yes. The top five. Okay, now, I don't disagree. All five of these guys were great. Um, Baker Mayfield is not the best quarterback in the last 20 years. <laughs> I mean, just <laughs> I love Baker too. Don't get me wrong; he might be my favorite player of the last twenty years, but he's not the greatest. He's not even the greatest Oklahoma quarterback of the last twenty-one years. <laughs> I, I mean, I just I can't. I, 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 yeah. So, um, okay. Then two was Cam Newton, right? Yeah. Okay. Three was Vince Young. Mm-hmm. Four was Tebow. Five was Burrow. Yeah. All right, so I'm obviously biased. Burrow's my guy. Um, Burrow had the one best season of all of them. Right. But he wasn't great before that. I mean, he, he had a great end to his junior – or his second – his his first year at LSU, the last couple of games, he was great. And then all of his last senior year, he was great. Um, I'd have Burrow in the top five. But I wouldn't have him – I mean, I wouldn't have him one. Uh, I made a top five for you. I did do this. So, all right. So five, I had a tie. You can take whichever one you want. Um, Johnny Manziel or Jameis Winston. Okay. You can almost argue that Jameis and Burrow are two guys that you might disqualify because of the length of time. But then I thought about that for a second. And I was like, well, holy shit, a lot of these guys only played two years anyway. So Manziel and Jameis, I just couldn't separate the two. They got them at five. Um, Andrew Luck was incredible in college. He was the best player in college all three years he was a starting quarterback at Stanford. And he didn't win the Heisman because there was defensive players two of those years that split off a whole bunch of votes. And he played in the West Coast. And half people didn't get to watch him at Stanford. But Andrew Luck was absolutely incredible, and he was my number four. Burrow was three for me. Tebow was two, and Cam Newton was one. And I was close on Tebow and Cam. I could have gone either way on both of them. Um, again, we're talking about college. I don't even think about what happened after college, but just in college football, those are the guys I would have chosen. Um, I don't have as big an issue with some of the top guys. Vince Young is right up there with all those guys. God, he was great. Um, he gets a little too much credit because of one game. Right. Maybe that's what pushed him into their top five. Um, but Cam, Tebow, Burrow, you can't put those guys that not put them in your top five. Right. Um, I think exception with Baker. I just think, again, I don't think Baker's the best quarterback in Oklahoma in the last 20 years. Um, and then I people just don't – people sleep on luck because they didn't see it. 
right. who's in the West Coast. And they try to be okay with that in the list by including guys, you know, like Joey Harrington and guys, um, you know, Derek Carr and a few of those that play out West. Um, and, you know, and this is kind of fodder. It's great to argue about. It's great to have a few beers and talk about. You know, those are the guys that when I go back and think, who were the really special players to watch these last few years at quarterback? Man, those are the five or six that stand out to me. Well, and, and looking at this, it looks like there was a real recency bias towards the more yeah. uh, current quarterbacks. Uh, you mean, uh, there were some guys on this list that, you know, I, I think about Tom and guys we saw up close. Brandon Whedon didn't make the list. Josh Heupel didn't make the list. Chris <laughs> Wanky didn't make the list. Um, you know, those just off the top of my head. Uh, you know, those guys should easily have been top 50 quarterbacks, all three of them. Yeah. Um you know, Brandon Whedon was a part of what was at the time the you know number one offense in college football history um, back in 2011 with Oklahoma State there. So I want to put Whedon in. As far as my five goes, I got to go Tebow one. I'll go Cam. Uh, you know, I, I would say that, you know, it's close between Cam and, and Burrow, but with the edge of the length of time, I'll give it to Burrow two, Cam three. And then four, I go Vince Young. And then five, I go Matt Leiner. Two national titles, a Heisman Trophy. How is he not in the top ten? Grossly underrated on this. Yeah. Yeah, The two that to me, there was three of them to me that I was just like, oh, my God, these guys are grossly underrated, were Matt Leiner, Andrew Luck, and the other one was Eli Manning. Eli? Eli was incredible in college. Uh, and he Colt, had a great career. Couple other and, underrateds. Colt Brennan. He, he, yeah. It, well, Colt Brennan has records. numbers. Yeah, he's all the records. Uh, but again, a lot of those people didn't see him. And then you think about, well, some people want to take those guys who they were great at their school. You know, that's where right. like the, you know, Marcus Mariota is on there and, and Todd Reason, Colin Klein. Those are great players, you know. Yeah. And, uh, I thought Jason White was too low at 30. Yeah, so I think Jason White was a better college football player than, 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 than Baker Mayfield. But I meant the best Oklahoma quarterback the last 10 years, the last 20 years, is Jason White to me. I mean, that guy can sell – he, he can sell, uh, you know, those those air comfort solution, uh, you know, air conditioners like no one else. Yeah, and, and I'm not saying this is what they did when they get to the NFL because some of these guys didn't play in the NFL, and it's just the nature of that game. Uh, the other one I thought was grossly underrated was Byron Leftwich. Yeah. If you if you if you're old enough like me, and you saw Byron Leftwich in college. He was awesome. And I would have loved to have seen Byron Leftwich play in the SEC. He'd have he'd have been great. I thought Aaron Rodgers was underrated. That that last year he had at Cal was phenomenal. Uh, yeah. Tom, what do you think? Uh, who, who are the top five quarterbacks? In college football, the last twenty-one years, back to two thousand. Mm, oh, you know, honestly, I thought Sam Bradford was great. He's going to be probably up there. Leonard, Matt Leonard, for me, has to be up there. Um, obviously, Matt or not Matt Stafford. Sorry, uh, Andrew Luck. Sorry, I'm hitting blanks here. Um, I wouldn't put Wheaton in the top five, but Wheaton's in. He's in there somewhere. Um, what was he? What did they rank Wheaton as? 
Whedon didn't make make the list. He didn't make the cut. He didn't make top 60. Yeah, that's that's complete bullshit. And I agree with you 100%. He's on there, and as as good as Patrick Mahomes is in, in the NFL, he didn't deserve to be on this list. No, I mean he didn't. He didn't do a whole lot for tech. No, I mean um, it's, it's number one. It's not, it's not Baker. Um, honestly, I would probably put Tebow or Cam right in there as well. I'd probably have to go Tebow. Honestly, okay. I'd probably I said, have to. I'd probably have to say Tebow number one. Yeah, you know I went back and forth on those two, and they're the two best college football players at quarterback I've seen. Here's, you know, here's something funny. Whedon didn't make it, but they're, they put Kyle Trask in there. Yeah. <laughs> it's a joke. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's a great idea. You know, pe- people wanted to compare Kyle Trask to Joe Burrow for the last year and a half. I mean, I heard, how many times did you hear that in the last year? Kyle Trask is the next Joe Burrow. Right. I mean, I heard that. that I heard blasphemy. It was by, it, it, uh, Marty and McGee were pushing that every week. On ESPN. I mean, he, if you listen to Marty Smith, he was oh, we and they, they like it. And Contrast is a great guy, but he ain't Joe Burrow. I mean, it's what, okay. Here's you know. here's another one for you. Another miss that somehow didn't get this top six seat. Where was Jamarcus Russell? Yeah, okay. So I'm an LSU guy. Jamarcus was good, was really good at LSU, but he was not that great. I wouldn't have had Jamarcus on there either. Uh the talent, he was, I mean, uber talented. But uh, there were other quarterbacks that were better players in college. I mean, Jamarcus was just a big guy. It was hard to take out. He had a monster arm. And they had guys who could run under the ball. Um, you know, I think that he's a kind of player that um, if you want to see a player that's similar, it was Byron Left, which Byron Left is more athletic. Sure. <clears throat> yeah. Um, and this list, too, didn't really respect small school players, I felt, too. Uh, it was very recency yeah. biased and very focused on, you know, NFL talent and such, and not, you know, small school guys. Uh, Jared Zabransky. Yeah, Tyler, did, did you write this under a pseudonym? Uh, no, I did not. Although I, I don't have any problem with Todd Reasing being 55 on that list. I'm not going to argue that. Um, <laughs> I love Todd. Uh, Tom, so you had Tebow one, Cam two, and Joe Burrow three. Um, I would probably put – I would go Tebow, Andrew Luck. Hmm, Tebow, Andrew Luck. And then Cam or Burrow. I'd, you know, maybe Bradford in there somewhere. I mean, there's, there's so many great ones um, that, it's, that it's hard to really – it's hard to really pick out. I mean, I would almost, I would almost need to see a whole list because you guys – I'd listen to you name off everybody, but – um, I didn't see that full list until you read it off. Um, I, I think the snubs are more interesting than the top five. I mean, there's 15 guys on that list you could mix and match with. But as far as everybody else, it's like, who are they putting in that does not deserve to get in? I mean, Todd Reesing at 55, but Brandon Whedon doesn't get in. I get what Todd Reesing did for KU. But it's just, and obviously I'm a homer, but it's still, it's, it's trash. Kevin, I mean, at least knock out Kevin Kolb and put Whedon in there at 60. Well, then if, if you want to talk NFL valuable names, you know, because this has got a lot in there, um, where was Matt Stafford? Where was Matt Ryan? These guys were phenomenal in college. Yeah. 
You know, another guy should have been in there was Chase Daniel. He was in there. Was he? Where was he at? I didn't see him on there. Uh, Chase Daniel, he was ahead of Todd Reesing. I remember that much. Oh. Um, Chase Daniel, let me uh, let me get back. He, he was in the 40s, around 44, I believe. Okay. Okay, I got the list here. I'm pulling it up on my phone right now. Yeah, I mean, um, I must be missing him here. Yeah, but he's in the 40s there. Okay. And that's fine for Chase. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely some recency bias on this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Brad Banks is on here. I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, the uh, the Navy quarterbacks on that list, uh, Reynolds. And I, Kenny, I, I, Kenny Reynolds is on here, yeah. Oh, come on. Really? He can't throw the football. Yeah. The guy can't throw the ball. He's on this list. Of the 60 best quarterbacks the last 21 years, no thanks. Yeah. Hey, um, Kevin Cobb was 60, and he should be much higher than that. Kevin Cobb? Yeah, Kevin Cobb was better. He should be better than 60th. I mean, he was the last one on this list. Okay. Yeah. All right, Bob, before we let you go, uh, O'ConnorAdvisorGroup.com, O-H-G-K-S.com is the website. Uh, remind people one more time what you got going on. Hey, man, give us a shout. We want to help you out. You know, we always want to be your partner. You know that. Uh, hey, all your financial stuff. You got questions. We we got answers. We want to help you out. Um, go over to O'ConnorAdvisorGroup.com or you can go to OAGKS.com. Hit the contact us. Give me a shout on there. It's going to come directly to my email. Um, I'll be happy to set up a free appointment with you. Talk about whatever you need help with. You're thinking about changing jobs or you're thinking about retiring before the end of the year. You're thinking about how you pay for put your kid through college. Whatever it is, we want to help. So give us a shout. We can come up with some solutions for you and see what we can do. There you have it. Brian O'Connor, O'Connor Advisory Group, joining us here on the Jones Report. Bo, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for joining hey. us. Thanks, guys. Coach Bo joining us here on the Jones Report. Talking about Jones Thomas Bridges. A few more things before we get out of here. Let's go to the association, the NBA. And we see that the Nets finally are getting this thing going with uh, Kyrie and and uh, KD and James Harden. They haven't played a whole lot together, but James Harden's played very well. And uh, he had his return trip to uh, Houston last night, and he got some mixed response from fans. And we heard from the uh, the folks in Houston that they're actually going to end up uh, putting Harden's jersey in the rafters in Houston. I'm like, he wasn't there that long, was he? They're going to go ahead and do that. Uh, I guess that's their prerogative of some sorts. Um, but now there's talk about him being one of the MVP candidates. And to me, I'm like, what? This guy demanded his way out of the Rockets and, you know, showed up, you know, looking like that he had eaten all the Burger King. And now, you know, he finds his way on the nets and we're going to reward him with that for the MVP. I mean, I don't know how I feel about that one, Tom. That, that's some weird stuff going on in the Harden camp of already talking about putting his, putting him up in the rafters in Houston after demanding a trade, and then all of a sudden being in the MVP conversation too. I don't know how I feel about either one of those things. I mean, yeah, that would be like if, if you know, here's the funny thing. Kawhi Leonard did more for the Spurs in his time there than James Harden ever did for the Rockets. Right. And in terms of hardware. Um and this, I would be high as a Spurs fan. All I can speak for all Spurs fans 
I can guarantee it that if the Spurs were like, you know what, we're going to retire the number two Kawhi Leonard jersey and hang him in the rafters up near Duncan and Ginobili and Bowen, you know, and Parker and Jervin. No, absolutely not. That's just such a Houston Rockets thing to do. You know how I feel about the Rockets. I hate the Rockets. Um, But that is so silly. This guy pretty much tanks your franchise immediately. It almost does it in a way worse than what Kawhi did at the Spurs. Um, and then goes and joins uh, a super team in the Nets. Uh, no. Uh-uh. Right. I'm not hanging his rat. No, he didn't do any. No, if he won a title with them, okay. Fair. Sure. But he didn't. He didn't. He didn't even make it to the conference finals. Never. Never. What are, what are they hanging his jersey in there for? Right. They're, they're no. not. I'm not a Houston fan, so I'm not going to tell them what to do of who they should and shouldn't honor. Um, you know, that's their prerogative. But it's it looks tacky, doesn't it? It's not a good look. I mean, I bet I bet Clyde Drexler was up to it. That's a Clyde Drexler thing to do. Oh, <laughs> uh, even uh, even Yao Ming, Tom, uh, was there a more overrated player? I mean, he was just freakishly tall. Right, and I mean, I get it that he kind of gave him the link to to China and all that, and uh, you know the the Rockets hell they even have the you know the the or they used to have the jersey that was you know Asian inspired Chinese inspired. Um, I I don't think they have that anymore. I haven't seen it in a while, but um, yeah, I mean, I get what he meant to the Rockets and what Yao meant to the NBA as far as you know, the first real, you know, Asian player ever, you know, he paved the way for, you know, for others to do that. So in terms of, of him paving the way for others uh, of Asian descent, sure. But yeah, I mean, yeah, it wasn't crazy. I mean, and, and I mean, he wasn't even the best player on the team. Trace McGrady was right. I mean, yeah, he, uh, with all the people in China voting for him for the all-star game, he actually stole some starting spots from Shaq a few times. Right. I mean, so I get, so as far as the significance to the NBA and just to the game, I get that. I mean, he's, his impact on the game is, is probably underrated, honestly. Yeah. Um, but in terms of just great player, I mean, Sure, if you think about it, yeah, I had to go up against Tim Duncan and Shaq um, every year. I mean, and that's just two of the teams that I can think of off the top. Um, Kevin Garnett, I mean, prime Kevin Garnett. I mean, yeah, I had some tough competition. I mean, it wasn't – he was tall and he was not bad, um, but he wasn't anywhere near as great. But, you know, you can say the same thing for Harden. He, he never made it to the conference finals. Right. Uh, and they tried to surround him. They put Chris Paul on the team. They, I mean, they tr- they did. They made some moves. He still doesn't um, play a lick of defense either. The guy can't defend anybody. Right, and it's so it's just like well, uh, you know, and and I think the telling a big telling thing was, and uh, maybe I'm wrong here, but Boogie Cousins goes to the Rockets, doesn't <laughs> like how James Harden is acting and how the, the Rockets franchise is is treating just the whole situation. And so he dips out. He does, he's not even on the Rockets anymore. I'm pretty sure he's a free agent. <laughs> I mean, if, if that doesn't if, – if Boogie Cousins doesn't like the way you're running things, 
Usually it's the problem. Usually the problem is Boogie Cousins. <laughs> Boogie Cousins is telling you, no, I ain't got the problem. You do. And then leaves voluntarily. I mean, Dude. something's up. I mean, right? Houston, we got a problem. <laughs> How about uh, some trades? Trade deadline's coming up. Um, I have some names and uh, some potential locations. Let me see what you think, Tom. Um, Kyle Lowry is uh, probably going to be on the move. He almost coached the Raptors last week <laughs> after uh, Nick Nurse and all those guys ended up with a contact tracing with COVID and such. Um, Kyle Lowry going to end up uh, in Philly? You know, I did hear talks of Philly, but I also heard talks of Kyle, Ra- Kyle Lowry staying put. Uh, I mean – Obviously, after DeRozan left, he was the identity. Um, the Raptors still could be a, a quality team. I don't think they're – from what I can see this year, they're not very impressive. But uh, that's not to say that Nick Nurse isn't – you know, he's still there. I mean, they still have some pieces in place. Um, but this year doesn't look to be the year that they're really making any noise. But I'm not sure what his contract is or I'm not sure um, – you know how that's going to end up going. I mean, they're in the eighth, they're the eighth seed, but if you think of, I mean, if you look at it, they could easily be the fourth seed. Right. I mean, it's Boston, Knicks, Charlotte, Miami, Toronto. In a conference and, last year, who sent its five seed to the finals. Right. Right. I mean, they could, they could be all right. I, I don't know. I don't think Kyle Lowry, I mean, if he wants out, sure, but that would be, Philly would be a homecoming for him. That's where he's from. That's true, and Philly's currently number one, probably not for long, um, in the East. Uh, Brooklyn, obviously, will be there before too long, I'd imagine. Right. Well, and and in the case of Philly, you know, Ben Simmons might be the most overrated player in the league. He can't shoot more than them. Um, They got to have somebody that can score. And Kyle Lowry could bring some instant offense to that Philly team. Um. How about uh, J.J. Redick? Uh, what about the idea of him joining up uh, in Brooklyn and uh, adding some more offense to that group? I hope not. I <laughs> uh, sure so hope not. I mean, I would – I'm trying to think. Does J.J. Redick have a title? Does he have a ring? I don't think so. I don't think – I'm trying to think. I don't think he does. I would like to see J.J. Redick win a ring. Um, not with Brooklyn. I mean, think no. about it. No, 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 no. Anybody but Brooklyn. I mean, uh, I mean, we always Brooklyn were. Brooklyn is know, the new. They're the new Golden State Warriors. We hate them. Yes. Yeah. We're we're not stands over here, and and you know for a while we're like, okay, screw the Clippers because of Kawhi or the Lakers super team. No, we're not rooting for them. Now we have a new villain, and it is the Nets. So anyway, the Nets get better. I don't like it. Anyway, the Nets get worse. I'm for it. Right. Um, my team, the uh, Thunder, uh, we, we always know that they're trying to move some parts and pieces around. Um, I don't have ne- necessarily destinations, but here's what I wonder. Does Sam Presti do anything about the following players? I'll list them off. Um, Trevor Ariza, George Hill, Al Horford, um, any of those guys get shipped out before the deadline out of Oklahoma City, you think? You know, I think it comes down to Presti. I think if someone calls and inquires, 
Um, then I think, you know, I think everybody but SGA is on the table for the Thunder, um, arguably. Um, I mean, maybe a few players aren't, but. Maybe not you know, Lou Dort. Or, yeah, Dort's not. I, I'd agree. Dort just made the Rising Stars list. I mean, they're going to want to keep SGA and Dort for sure. Um, but anybody else, I think, is kind of, you know, you make the right offer, and, you know, it seems like Sam Presti's ready to wheel and deal whoever. Right. Uh, not name SJ or Lou Dort. But, you know, George Hill's kind of been a journeyman. Um, I would like to get – I would, and he's kind of towards the ends of his career um, somewhat. I would like to see him go to a contender. I think George Hill can provide that. Al Horford, uh, you know, he he's provided some decent minutes for the Thunder, but, you know, he's a vet. I could see he's been overpaid his entire career. I will say that, kind of a backhanded comment there, but um, nonetheless, overpaid, overrated his entire career, but still decent, decently valuable um, for the right team. But we'll see if anybody takes a page on him. Um, now – Here's what I, I wonder with uh, with the Thunder in uh, in their case. You know, I would love to see Cade Cunningham come to Oklahoma City in the draft. We talked about him earlier in the show, Tom. Um, we know they have all these picks, right? Do they have enough assets to move up in the draft to go get? Because um, you know they're not going to lose enough games. It seems to have a top two pick more than likely. Um, I wonder if you can start looking at some of those higher lottery teams now and if you can make a move, whatever, to position yourself for that lottery to potentially, since you got so many assets anyway, to land maybe a Cade Cunningham or something like that. Right. I mean, look at the lottery teams now. I'm just looking at records. I mean, Cleveland, Orlando, Detroit could be there as far as the Eastern Conference. I mean, hell, OKC has got a better – record than Houston right now. I mean, Minnesota, again, could get the number one overall pick. Um, you know, anything can happen in the lottery, in the, and at least in the top five, you know, in the bottom five, I guess you'd say. Um, but, yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see if they have all those picks and, you know, if they really like Cade Cunningham, maybe they go and wheel a, a, a large share of those picks to get him. Yeah, I think so. Um, we shall see, but, uh, Tom will move on. That's enough on the NBA. We will, uh, get to our Tom Foolery story of the week. And Tom, you sent me about like five different options. There's a lot of places we could go. There's stories on this that missed the cut that are very good stories. One of these days we'll have to do a Tom Foolery of those that were just short. that didn't quite make it, but who got to be the, the lucky choice this week? You know, Jones, I, I sent you all. We'll, we'll mention this one. Just a quick mention. We were going to talk about a Fruit Loops pizza coming out of Des Moines. Uh, I mean, I'll save you the, the tr- trouble. It looks like trash. Uh, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's a, a sin. pizza, though. I mean, still, I would never order it. I mean, that's just I would rather have. You know what would be better than that? A cinnamon toast crunch pizza. Dessert pizza would be way better than a Fruit Loops pizza. Hundred, hundred bazillion times. I'd try. It. I don't know why they haven't done that. Um, Jones, we are going to. Um, I guess this is all over. This is not a certain place, and you can actually sign up for this. Um, let me 
get my. He's getting his reading glasses. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting my ducks in a row. You know, I don't. I, I hopefully it's a long time before I ever need glasses, but get my ducks in a row here, um, so I can find the spot. Um, Jones, did you know March is National Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month? Uh, I did not know that. I knew that. No, I did not. All right. Well, Jones, this March, and from the date that we're recording this, which is the 3rd, until the 7th, you can sign up to donate your poop. Um, article reads, colorectal cancer is crappy as the nation's second deadliest form of cancer. Didn't know that. It kills thousands every year. This March, adults can enjoy limited edition glittery beer that can't be purchased with money, but can only be accessed with their own poop during National Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month. The unusual ask is part of the clever Give a Crap Challenge hatched by the Colon Cancer Foundation, Squatty Potty, and Dewclaw Brewing Company with help from Craft Shack to help the, the, to help the Colon Cancer Foundation reach their goal of providing 10,000 colorectal cancer screenings to undeserved communities in 2021. As a result of signing up, participants will also help awareness for the 75 million people in the U.S. who are 45 plus and should be regularly tested for colorectal cancer and their loved ones who can help encourage the talk. For 400 eligible participants, it's as easy as this. Click, squat, sit. Number one, Jones, click. You can sign up to give a crap at www.giveacrapchallenge.com between March 3rd and through 7th for a chance to participate and receive the screening, squatty potty, and beer. 100 lucky entrants will be randomly selected from signups to participate at no cost. Another 300 can instantly participate by making an $85 donation. Number two, squat. Take your non-invasive colorectal cancer screening in the privacy of your own home and mail into the lab in the prepaid envelope. Number three, sip. Enjoy your six-pack of Duclos. Thanks for giving a crap edition of the Sour Meat Unicorn Farts Glittered Sour Ale on your doorstep from Craft Shack and relish in the fact you gave a crap today. You'll receive secure, personalized results of your screening test to your device. Article goes on, Jones. This is us, arms in the air, shouting from the rooftops that colorectal cancers are no longer simply an old person's disease, said Cindy Barassi, president of the Colon Cancer Foundation. The fight against the second leading cause of cancer death among U.S. men and women is serious, and sometimes the best way to engage people is with a little humor. Participants will get an exclusive access to a limited edition pilot batch of this year's much-anticipated Sour Me Unicorn Farts. Glittered sour ale made with a fruity cereal, a trio of fruits, edible glitter, plus the addition of a graham cracker. Beer will be gifted in 12 ounce, 12 ounce six packs. Label will say thanks for giving a rainbow poop emoji with a blue star for colorectal cancer awareness. Jones, are you going to sign up? <laughs> I'm thinking about to potentially it. Potentially give crap. So basically, in essence, I'm going to sign up right now. You take a crap. And you ship it by mail, and you get free beer out of it. Only 100 people out of however many applicants. Oh, so you're not guaranteed to get the beer. No, 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 but you don't have to crap. You don't have to crap. Uh, I mean, you don't have to take shit and send it off in the mail unless you get chosen. Okay. Okay. It's worth the shot. 
if I was one of the lucky 100, then yeah. I'd be willing to do this. You would take a dump. Take a dump. put it in the mail. Take a dump and put it in the mail for free beer? It's it's free beer. Absolutely. Free is free. I'm signing up right now. I mean, you think about I'm it. I'm signing up right All I'm going to do is just flush it down the toilet anyway. What difference does it make? That is very true. I just signed up for it. said, thanks for taking the Give a Crap Challenge. You'll receive an email confirmation momentarily from fecal matters at giveacrapchallenge.com. Um, Jones, for, for whatever sake, I mean, the beer be damned. I can't drink until May anyway. Um, but I am taking a healthy dump in the squatty potty and sending it off if they so choose me. 110%. Um, you know, I have no shame. I would be ashamed if it was not a solid form or if it was just, you know, a messy one. Also, I feel for the male people who's, you know, I well, mean, what if you, I, draw, you know, are you going to like, what if you, what if it's, you know, how much, or how big is the container? What if you drop a huge dump? What if it's just a little bit? Do you You're stripping your, your poop off. Do you give your mailman a heads up, like, hey, I'm about to put some poop in the mail tomorrow or something? <laughs> I would not. Can you imagine if it busts open in the mail, though? Can you imagine being the mail person that's like, oh, I wonder what they're shipping here? You open the package up for screening and it's literally a turd. I'm actually shocked this isn't a felony. I mean, granted, I mean, you can, they, you know, you can get these tests. These M home tests and get sent back to the lab. It's like spitting in the little jar and sending it to 23andMe. Um, I'm sure if you just mailed a turd <laughs> to someone, which would be really funny. Uh, there's a few people in mind I would ship an at, which I would ship a shit to for sure. Um, but <laughs> give us a lot of names. <laughs> no, no, no. There's a word. We're not saying any names, but. Uh, if you know me and you're listening to this show and you receive a turd in the mail, uh, I will plead the fifth. I, I can't say it was me or not. Um, but Jones, would you, I mean, if you got shipped to your address in Omaha, if you opened up a box at all, oh, I wonder what they got. And it was, you just open up the box and it's a human turd. Would you laugh or would you be mad? Uh, I think I would laugh. It makes me think, do you remember that movie Joe Dirt with David yes. Spade? Yes. And Joe Dirt, he's going around with what he thinks is this asteroid that he's found, and he's eating off of it and such, and he makes it his friend, and it turns out it's just a big old ball of poop. That's what Right. Right. That would I mean that would be fine. I would have to laugh. It depends on who it was from. I would if it said who it was from in the inside of the box, I would I would be planning my next prank. Um, but I would I would have a really good hearty laugh if someone shipped me a turd. Now, don't do it. Uh, you know, I just moved to Tulsa. Nobody knows my address, so we're gonna keep it that way. Um, but yeah, I, I would get a real good kick out of it. Um, I would just not want to be the people that have to test poop all day, right? 
that does not sound like an ideal job. I know that they could, I mean, they're trying to save lives here and, you know, get screened early and do all that. But yeah, that's, I mean, can you, I mean, imagine growing up, no one's going to be like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Some people go a cowboy, a doctor, a lawyer, a, you know, a teacher or whatever. And the, no one's going to be like, yeah, I want to inspect poop my whole life. <laughs> Remember that show, uh, Dirty Jobs, with uh, Micro? Micro. Yeah, I mean, he's I wonder, he's getting paid a lot of money. Uh, most of those jobs actually pay pretty good because nobody wants to do those jobs. That is true. I just couldn't I couldn't handle opening up boxes full of shit all day and just being like, oh, I guess we'll put this in the burner here and stir it around and check for. Whatever may ail you. <laughs> um, this beer, by the way, uh, in case folks don't know, in case they're very curious, um, this is glittered sal, uh, sour ale with graham cracker. And uh, it's a 5.5 alcohol level. It uh, contains pil- Pilsner, uh, light wheat, and uh, torrified wheat in this beer. I mean, I'm I don't care what's in it as long as there's no poop in it. I'm down to try it. It's the exclusive sour meat unicorn farts variant. I mean, I'm all on board to try it if they if they ship it to me, uh, and or maybe if I get the poop for beer, maybe I'll have to send a bottle up to Omaha. One dump, everyone knows the rules. Hey, there you go. I don't even know. If I get this, I'm just going to send you a random picture of the turd in the box. That's what's going to happen. You would. Nolan would. That's a Nolan. Nolan would do this. No, I'm surprised Nolan doesn't know. I I bet he knows about this. This is such a Nolan thing to do. Right. Maybe we should tell him. He would be the one selected. He would be the one selected, and I'm sure he, we would get a picture. We would know. I don't think Bo would do this. You probably couldn't pay Bo to do this. You don't think so? Free colorectal cancer screening? I, I don't think this is Bo's type of thing. But Nolan, absolutely. Yeah, Nolan would be proud of it. He would. He would tweet it and... You know, I'm surprised we haven't got, you know, pictures from Nolan of his of his bowel movements. And that's one thing we haven't got a picture from Nolan of. Um, so maybe it's on the list. Maybe we'll maybe we'll both get selected and we can surprise him. There we uh, go. And then we'll revel in it and drink our six packs. We'll, get, we'll be the first to it. I would. We'll see. Now, if I do get selected, because I think they let everybody know on the eighth. I will let you know, or I don't know if you'll sign up for it either, or you know what have you. But if I get selected, we'll do a little quick follow up. If I end up getting selected on next week's show, okay. Um, one thing I did send Nolan one time. Uh, my sister just reminded me of this, <laughs> that, uh, um, and this is relevant to you drinking water and such all that time. All this water you got to drink. Uh, me, Nolan, and uh, and his buddy Derek, which most people don't know around here, um, 
we were trying to uh, keep each other accountable for uh, being hydrated, and so we would uh, we would send each other Snapchats of uh, of the toilet bowl if it, if, when it was clear. <laughs> right, I've been I'm, I'm three for three these past three days. Good, if that's the case. Yeah, uh, don't be drinking uh, sweet tea now, or or. Uh, cold brew tea, uh, green tea will help that. Green tea, yeah. I've been, you know, I haven't had anything other than water for the last three days. No, water and green tea are no, do you a lot, my friend. Yeah, so, maybe I'll have to invest as long as it doesn't have any poop in it. <laughs> On that note, we will get out of here. I've said too much already. It's been an interesting show. <laughs> Big thanks to Clint Bowen for stopping by, Coach Bo as well. Make sure to subscribe to the Jones Report. There's no way you can't give us a five-star review after this show. Um, make sure and do that. Subscribe on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify. We certainly would appreciate it if you did. Also, uh, make sure to follow us on social media, facebook.com forward slash Tyler Jones Live, Tyler Jones Media Group. Uh, Twitter at Tyler Jones Live at Thomas underscore Bridges. Are you off Twitter for a bit? Uh, it's been a while since I tweeted. I'm... I may or may not. I haven't decided um, if I can keep up with the seventy-five hard. I'll I'll keep on the Twitter, but I've been knocking it out here lately. Okay, you know, I've been done by about six o'clock here lately, so we'll okay. we'll see. Well, Tom can just you know put the retweet on the show and then he'll log off or something. You know. Yeah, that's about right. Right, and so follow Tom there to see his retweets at at uh, Thomas underscore Bridges. At TJ Media Group, Instagram, Jones underscore report, Tyler Jones Live, Instant Thomas, you can find us there. And we'll see you right back here, same time, same place, next week for Thomas Bridges, Ryan O'Connor, Clint Bowen, and Tyler Jones. Thanks so long. It's been another edition of Jones Report. We'll see you next week.